Welcome back to the Science Fiction Film Podcast by LSG Media. I'm your host, Dean. I'm Matthew. And on this week's episode, we bring you Jacob's Ladder from 1990, directed by Adrian Lin. You want to know what Jacob's Ladder taught me? Oh, God. What? That despite needing to clean up a little bit, like it requires more cleaning, like body parts, dismembered things, blood and whatnot. I mean, it it is, you're going to have to buy a lot of Clorox wipes. I, uh, <laughs> I will say this. Okay. <laughs> Even though there's that, man, I think that, I'm probably just going to bang Elizabeth Pena instead of the boring white girl and uh, get rid of the annoying yeah. kids. Fuck Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> kick him right, up the sta- right off the stairway. And um, <laughs> just uh, have sex with uh, Elizabeth Pena in the de- and hang out with the demons. That seems way right. more awesome than all of the other bullshit. You know, it's kind of like one of those. It's like one of those times where you know Morpheus is like with a red pill and go further down the rabbit hole, or stay here and wonder. I'll take the blue. Thank you very much. I got a good thing going here. You see Elizabeth Pena? Have you looked at her? I mean, the only I thing, wake up. It's not even. Good. Yeah, I mean, you know, you could probably let's be real. You'd probably wear side by side with a lot of different women. It's just the attitude. God you know? yes, dude. She's God, so yes. fucking ridiculous. But anyway, without being a total creep about her, because this is going to be a long show. <laughs> Um, I mean, you know, it just, what? You have to, once in a while, you have to watch, you know, a demon wrap its tail around her waist and, and you know, slap around between her legs a little. Yeah. With disembodied, and you, hey, and you always, nipping jaws. You always inexplicably wake up the next day and everything's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Once in a while, all- her eyeballs are all pupil. <laughs> I mean, I can deal with it. Take I mean, it. the other life is just like, ugh. <laughs> what are you going to do now? Sit around in heaven with the Home Alone kid? Boring. Um, when's the last time you saw this movie? Dude, it's been a long, long time. Um, and this was one where I, you know, I, I feel like I say one thing a lot where I'm like, oh, I remember parts of it well and, and parts of it not so much or, or things blur together. I remember whole sections, whole chunks of this movie with like, crystalline clarity where like I remember every fucking aspect of it but there were odd parts that I'd forgotten I'd forgotten a lot of the beginning and I'd forgotten the very end I, the, the other scene I remembered very clearly hmm. was him seeing his his son and and being oh, on wow. the stairway I, you forgot I about that. him being dead I forgot Dude. about him being dead yeah wow um, it's like watching a lot it all of, over again a little bit. There was there were aspects of this that felt very new, and then other aspects that I was like, "Oh, I remember this completely." I like the whole 10, 15 minute section. Where I'm like, "Oh, I remember even dialogue from this. I remember all of this. I remember it very well." But that to me is also one of the most interesting dreamlike qualities of this movie. I remember this movie like I remember my own dreams. Like very scattered. You know, it's just like chunks and images and and a person at a specific place. I don't remember what they were doing or what they why they were there. I just remember that. And I thought you were going to say unfulfilled and desperate, but <laughs> unfulfilled, desperate, flailing demons everywhere, um, <laughs> riddled, riddled with guilt and PTSD. You know my dreams, um, <laughs> but no, like that's to me. For years, I have always held this movie up high as far as 
it's one of those few movies that's not a horror movie. It's very dark. It has uh, horror aspects to it for sure, but it feels like a dream. And I mean that in a very, like that's high praise because that's what this movie is essentially going for. That it has this lucid dream, like it makes sense, but it's actually not making sense sure. quality to it. And I, I've always found that just totally hypnotizing about this movie. Um, and I could not wait to rewatch it again. And this, dude, I am so fucking excited to talk about this movie. It's, ah, I don't want to blow my whole load yet, but I'm really pumped. Yeah, I remember, um, do you ever have an association with a film that you watched with, um, you know, uh, being sick? <laughs> like literally like homesick? Yeah, like having a fever? Uh- um, some, I can't think, to be honest, I don't have one that jumps to the top of my head, but I, I definitely had like my movies that I would watch when I was sick that became like staples for like, I'm homesick and this is what I watch. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I had that and I had that happen on this one. Like I was not, not this recent viewing, but I remember one of the first times I ever saw this movie, I had some kind of flu, some kind of fever. And, um, it was either right at the beginning of it, or right at the end of that illness and watching it made it made me it just really fucked me up dude uh yeah i can't think of a worse movie to watch while having a fever like that would be like you just plunged the the the, your first like heavy heroin dose and you're like all right let's flip on requiem for a dream like no the worst possible thing requiem is is up there as what would be bad to watch while feverish (laughs) <laughs> right. The good news, though, is that the second time I saw it was was in a house where um, I got a, a pretty dynamite, um, pretty dynamite hand job, like right on the floor. It's a good time. Oh, yeah. Wait, <laughs> uh, back up. I missed part of that. <laughs> well, that was my second time seeing it. So first time was really, really sick. Second time, um, I got <laughs> you, some hand. You were play. distracted by your handy. I got, I got a real. I, I mean, a real exuberant and skillful hand play. That's hey, no, that's rare. That's yeah. actually rare when it yeah. comes to hand jobs. It, it's, there's it was it was art. I gotta be honest. <laughs> hey, with you. mom, she's a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> it was art. It was um, it was art. So there's that. That's my second viewing that I recall of this, and then the rest of them are kind of just somewhere between fever and in artists and in artistic hand job. But I but I can't <laughs> I can't tell you where on that spectrum they land. So that's my experience with Jacob's Ladder, right? Perfect. <laughs> and uh, feel free to make any dumb jokes uh, about something about a ladder. I don't know. But um, she ascended my ladder, but I don't know, you know, stuff like that. And uh, it was just, um, yeah, it was, uh, wow, man, this movie blew my fucking mind the first time. Um, oh, yeah. The second time I was a little distracted. And then um, in subsequent viewings, I was just like, boy, this movie is real happy. It's a real <laughs> cheerful film. Ah, cheery fucking flick. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Now this this is my first like, you know, adult from start to finish fully taking in what I'm what this movie is viewing of this movie in, in truth. Like, you know, I definitely watched it start to finish, but I was pretty fucking young. And like I was saying, like a lot of it stuck with me. Like more than most movies, by far more than most movies, lots of things. Uh, and images and, and sounds from this movie, you know, stuck them. Like, dude, the 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 demon faces quivering, shaking back and Eesh. forth intensely fast. That 
has stayed with I remember trying to make my own short horror film when I was like 14 and I was trying to replicate that effect like I was specifically we were trying to like speed up the like the basically the frame rate that we were filming at and like you know twisting the head really quick to try and get that same effect because I was like that shit is just so disturbing yeah um, I think it's so yeah, I it's think a, it's low frames per second but sped up like again four, four 14 to six. <laughs> what the 14 fuck, and dude? fumbling around you goddamn what amateurs I, uh, absolutely def- by definition <laughs> yeah i think i was reading it's like four to six a uh, second right right yeah but no dude that, there's so much that has you know of, from this movie that's lodged itself in my brain and has been there for a long time but this is my first real i i've taken in the entire story and and, and really gotten to sit with it and god dude it, it, there's so this movie has layers <laughs> there is so much going on here so much going mm. on and it's fantastic and i feel like this is one of those few movies that can truly like uh, people throw this around a lot We're like oh well you can you know it's got multiple interpretations or you can take it different ways and a lot of times it? it's like well yeah, this movie in particular i would say this i don't know if there's any multiple interpretations of the ending i'm not saying about like just the ending and what it means but of what is happening to Jacob throughout and, and mm. what 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 this story is saying about people and about the world. I feel like you can take it a lot of different ways. Um, there's just so many, uh, there's so much going on here. Got it. Yeah, I um, I dig this book, man. And uh, we have uh, Carmelita to thank for it. So thank you, Carmelita. Yeah, thank you. Good choice. Carmelita Valdez McCoy. This is uh, her. She sent us a nice email about it too. Um, we got a couple of good emails about this. We did. And um, she said, um, hey there, just got done watching Jake's Ladder for the hundredth time to get primed for the episode. Thought I'd drop a line to gush about the film and tell you why Bounty did. I saw it in 91, maybe 92, and it blew my mind. I never experienced a film like it before. I was totally sucked into the nonlinear storytelling, the practical flex of music, and Tim Robbins' performance. Despite knowing the twist at the end, the themes the film explores still get to me now. After the fantastic SFFB coverage of Donnie Darko, I really want to hear you guys talk about Jacob's Ladder. I don't know if we'd have successful nonlinear films like Donnie Darko without the influence of Jacob's Ladder. So here we are. And then she sent a, a clip to um, an Uproxx retrospective on the 25th anniversary with Ruben and Lynn, and uh, she linked to it, which is uh, lengthy and awesome article Ooh, yeah nice. very cool so cool thank you again for that carmelita i appreciate it awesome um you were talking about interpretations yeah and you know and i feel like even that word alone is is a little tricky like like i don't even mean it in the sense of oh this is how i interpret it and what i think it means and what the, the ending means and it's all like tied up with a bow like i don't have any like solid definitive and this is what i think the movie means interpretation about it but at the same time it's steeped in this like religious imagery and and hell and heaven and where your soul is but it also at the same time i feel like it's a story about ptsd like you could take it on a more literal surface level reading and like these are veterans who went through something fucking horrendous and war and and it's it's shattered them in certain ways and they're kind of like struggling to even understand what happened to them and how to, to move on. And then it's also, I think, a lot about guilt and remorse and, and the choices you make in life and not fully dealing with them until maybe it's too late. Um, and, and then at the same time, I feel like it's, it's almost easiest to come at this movie with just the full-blown, all right, 
these are demons, these are angels, that guy's God, and the, you know he's he's dying and he goes to heaven at the end. The end. It's just like a it's like a crazy surreal story about a guy who dies and what's happening to his soul, and that's that. But I still feel like there's a lot of real world commentary going on more than just about one individual's soul, even though that's also a very fascinating aspect of the movie that's worth talking about. Interesting. I'll tell you, I um, I I I like Jacob's Ladder a lot. I don't know if I love the LSD subplot. Yeah, you know, to be honest, there's a part of me that feels like that's one of the few dents in this movie. Now, the Uproxx information that Carmelita sent my way talks a lot about <laughs> LSD influencing the very film we're watching, which is cool. <laughs> I dig that. Um, you know, I'm like, sure, you want to if you if you want to do hallucinogens and get into ayahuasca and all that shit, go for it. Um, I'm not, this isn't a moral judgment. I'm just saying it felt a little tacked on because if you take the LSD experimentation thing out of the movie, I don't know if it really changes the movie because you're dealing with a guy, you're, you, you are, I agree with you. I don't want to say if you're right or wrong because I think it's irrelevant, but I agree with you as far as the PTSD piece and it being almost... You could say it's kind of smuggled into a very supernatural and frightening drama, right? Totally. Yeah. You, I think al- almost like in, in, in smuggled almost has a negative connotation because I'm suggesting perhaps they were trying to make a point to be a bit political for the Vietnam era without making the movie really about the Vietnam era outside of we see it's, I mean, it is the catalyst for this entire story in a sense. It's, it's essentially his death on the battlefield and, and um, right. in the journey. It's almost like Dante's Inferno in a sense, right? The journey, so to speak, to heaven and um, trying to get there and, and doing what you have to do to get there and reconciling all these old things. And like you said, you know, him telling you this, that, and the other thing. But um, yeah, man, I, um, I, I, I feel like maybe it was almost a red herring designed to make us go into the final 20 minutes like, oh, okay, he's going to be fine. And then you're like, holy shit, he's dead. Do you know what I mean? Like, like um, maybe the LSD I, I is a red herring to right. make, to throw you out. I don't know. Like, I didn't, I didn't think it was necessary to be perfectly frank. And maybe the movie could have been an hour and 45 minutes. I don't know. Right. Right. Um, you know, I, I definitely see what you mean, but I, I do, I do see a different possibility there. Um, you know, like the experimentation kind of, thing you mean? Yeah. About like what it means or like how the movie uses it. I think it's very important where it's placed as far as that's kind of the last real revelation for Jacob before he makes peace with everything. And I think that's an important aspect of that reveal. Um, because, you know, that's a big part of this movie is the idea of making peace with your life and with existence and, and with the chaos of it all, like finding a way to just look at it differently and come, come to peace with things. And, and I feel like that knowledge about what happened was part of what let Jacob kind of come to peace. Got it. Um, how do you think it, I, I guess we can talk about it at the end, but, uh, but something I would, um, I'd like to hear your interpretation of, and then maybe it will help me arrive at something similar was I couldn't quite take it and put it into like, in other words, if it was friendly fire, which is in my opinion, a very big political underpinning for the Vietnam era, friendly fire was like a thing. Oh, totally. 
Um, yeah, fragging. I mean, it had a whole term that was in yeah, Vietnam. Fragging yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your, you know, brothers in arms. So, so the question be- becomes, you know, is it, am I, am I underplaying the idea that the government experimented on these guys and their, and his death is a result of those experimentations and how unfair and terrible that is and how he makes peace with it before he dies? Because, I mean, I'm saying, I'm brainstorming this live as we speak. But then right, I'm thinking right. that's not really what I originally felt and was thinking. I was just thinking more, I was thinking more literally, <laughs> even though I'm not talking about the literal aspect of the movie, which is the Vietnam crap. I'm talking about the kind of journey at like your, your you know, your life flashes before your eyes kind of shit. Um, right. That, that's kind of what I took it as. It, in other words, to me, it didn't matter if, um, if a VC soldier bayoneted him or if an American bayoneted him on LSD, because we're still going to the same place in the story, so to speak. You know, it's like, yeah, I, like, like when they reveal it's an American soldier bayoneted I'm like, okay, that doesn't really matter to me. It, what matters to me is the rest of the fucking movie. Do you know what I mean? Yes. You know, yeah, I actually know, I, I know exactly. Yeah, that's how well, I'm, like that. I'm just struggling to be a podcaster today, apparently. Right. And, I, and to be honest, I'm like, trying to no, say no, it, and I don't know if I'm saying dude, it right. This, this movie is thick. It is thick. It's just so much going two on. Two C's. It is right. Yeah, thick with two C's. Mm. But um, but no, like I I actually see it kind of both ways there. Of like, for one, I think it was it's definitely a script writer's move of like this. Oh, an interesting reveal, a shocking reveal moment. Whereas I agree with you, I'm like in, in a sense. He, he's dead regardless. It doesn't really matter who killed him. And I think the only... the Unless only, you're making a political statement about LST. And, it, you know what I'm or saying? Not, or, or about warfare, about how, how what it makes us. Like, you know, sure. the, the reveal that in war, he was fighting the enemy and he, he was killed, but actually it was his own friend because violence just begets violence and, and war is chaos and terrible regardless of who's killing can, you. Can I jump die. in on that point? Because you, you just made me think of something. Sure. Because that makes it almost... Because we know that that man was drugged, it almost makes it sort of not that. Right? A Viet Cong mm. killing him is like, that's war, man. Like, he's your enemy and that sucks. And that is almost a more powerful message to me. Like, if somebody if somebody's on a mind-altering substance that's designed to make them kill and they kill somebody, well, then they kill somebody and that's, that's fucked up. But what's almost more fucked up is the Viet Cong going where we are they are the enemy and us going, no, they're the enemy and them fucking murdering each other. Like that's the, that's more tragic as far as I'm concerned. You, um, you know, I see that, but I actually, I do disagree in one sense. I think it, for the message or just not even the message, I, that seems too like surface level. I get like, what you're saying though. The, the overall like tone of this movie is trying to strike is just like the absurdity of all of it. Okay. And I think it, I is, like it. it is a much more absurd bizarre outcome like you get shipped across half the world you're at war and you end up getting stabbed to death by one of your own men All right. in a fit of like drug-induced frenzy i like it's it. just so it's such a like tragedy's not the right word it, it, it's absurd like that's that's the word of like i went to war to fight an enemy for my country and my own countrymen kill me it's dreadful and, and, irony and just, uh, exactly it's yeah. disgusting irony like yeah. the madness of it just yeah. doesn't even make any sense yeah and you're I feel right like that's you're right. more that's more the tone that this movie was trying to, to strike. And that, to me, that's why I'm still, I, I it's not that it, like plot wise that I'm like, Ooh, that's so cool that Jacob's ladder is a drug and that's what fucked him. That's a cool reveal. I don't really care about that. But the fact that it's his own men devouring each other, is it, like more of like a, 
a sad, you know, tale about humanity. Like, it doesn't even matter who the enemy is. We're just killing each other. That's a good point. And also, I could probably say, if I, if I even play devil's advocate to myself, I could say something along the lines of the idea of you going to Vietnam with a rifle in your hand when there's men that live there with rifles in their hands and they don't want you there. The expectation is that you guys are engaging in combat. So it's almost unsurprising. So it right, becomes right. more surprising and much more of a commentary on the absurdity of it all when it's your own guy stabbing you. So yeah, I get it. Right. I get it. <laughs> when it's a VC, you're like, well, yeah, that's what happens. Of course, that's what they that's do. Normal. You're here to kill them and they're here to kill you. Right. <laughs> like, that's that. I was more thinking yeah. just the, the, the unfortunate nature of that in general. Like, Totally. Yeah. yeah. No, I, yeah, I know. I see, definitely see what you mean. But yeah, it's good. Again, like you said, there are many ways to discuss the film, and that's what makes it interesting. Totally, man. I, uh, these, these is this is one of those movies, man. It's just fucking meat on the bone for Tore days. Off the you bone write, you, in this opening scene here. Yeah. <laughs> right. Jesus. You want to talk about Vietnam? Baby, let's fucking get into it. What's this movie? Nineteen ninety. Nineteen ninety. Yeah, baby. That was, dude, the height of Vietnam War movies, Oof. late 80s into like 1990, all the way up to like 1995. That was yeah. like a Vietnam movie era. Yeah, man. It was uh, Casualties of War, right? The Sean Penn one? Oof. Totally. Ooh, tough God, tough watch. Jesus Christ, it's a rough watch. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so again, because these are the guys, this is their rage, this kind of all makes sense at this point. But, but here we have uh, an opening, and we see a lot of these kind of character actors yeah man oh ving rames in here i was so shocked by that i was like ving rames in this movie? Oh, <laughs> crazy fuck. right oh shit yeah um pruitt taylor vince mr shaky eyes mr shit he's the dude, heavy there set so many guy. guys he's the heavy set guy paul yes yes what else was he in dude he's in a bunch of shit he's been and in he's so got much the shit. freaking yeah. he's in the you know his a great role of him is identity but if i'm not mistaken <gasps> wasn't oh, yeah. he in frailty was he in frailty oh, with shit. paxton at the end? Is he in the end of that movie? Maybe. I can't no. remember. Uh, maybe I'm thinking Identity. I'm confusing them. Um, <laughs> he's in an X-Files app. Oh, shit. He does a lot of shit, this cat. Or he did. But yeah, and, and he, yeah, his eyes kind of dart back and forth. Like, I don't know if it's yeah. a neurological tick. Um, but yeah, it's a thing. I, it's just a signature thing that I always remembered from him. Interesting. Yeah, like I when I saw him, I was like, "Oh my god, I've seen you in so much shit. Who are you? Who are you?" Yeah. Anyway, um, oh, uh, <laughs> what's his name in this movie? From um, goddamn, what is his name? Uh, <laughs> Who is he in this movie? Eric LaSalle. He plays Frank. He is, oh. if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure he is the dude from Coming to America. Just let your soul glow. That guy. The fucking, oh, the fucking Jerry Curl shit, man. That is him. You got oh, the long God. ass hair and coming to America. I'm pretty sure, sir, that's him, Eric LaSalle. God, it's been way too long since I've seen that movie. I can barely fucking remember. Fucking Jason that. Alexander. And of course, Danny yeah. Aiello is excellent in this movie, isn't he? Danny, oh, yes, yep. dude, yes. Brent Hinckley so is in this movie. He is from fucking X-Files. He's the creepy dude from... Um, Goddamn gender bender is the name of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'm looking at the cast list right now. Lewis Black is in this movie as Jacob's doctor, and I do not remember seeing him. He must look so different. Yeah, dude. Because I'm like, I didn't ever catch his face, and I know Lewis Black. Yep. What the fuck? Ma, it's madness. It's a long time ago, dude. Did you know that Elizabeth Pena is dead? 
I yeah, I just looked How that up. Crazy Holy shit, is that, dude! What the fuck? And she was like fifty five. Yeah, so fucking shitty, man. Sucks. God. Cirrhosis. Ah, uh, damn. Bummer. That's. Rough. I don't know and if that as means I, I don't... as I drink a fucking high alcohol beer. Right well, now. I don't want to make any. Ass, I don't want to make any assumptions. I don't know if that's why, but hey, that's a bummer. It says, well, what I'm seeing, it says death certificate with cirrhosis of the liver due to alcohol. Ugh. Yeah, that's a bummer. Damn, that sucks. That's really sad. That's rough. Um, she's got that Cuban blood. I know, dude. She was the hot detective in Rush Hour. Yes. That's the other thing where I was like, oh, fuck, that's what She was from. the hot blank in blank <laughs> in all of her roles. <laughs> that's true. But she's also so good. Yeah, man. She's good. She's... um. That uh, Uproxx thing that uh, Carmelita sent has some good info in it, dude. Just talking about how she was playing it at first and how she had to kind of change it up because she was telegraphing the evilness. Um, uh, yeah, I was like, oh, wow, no shit. So pretty cool. Interesting. Um, cool story. But uh, let's, go, let's go to Vietnam. And let's get out of Vietnam, but let's talk about what happens in Vietnam. Um, did you remember this opening scene? I actually did not. You see, I forgot about the LSD subplot. Yeah. Yeah, no. So I, I was knew, like, oh, he I just remembered, got stabs. And I, I remember him getting bayoneted. I remember that, and I remembered for whatever reason, even though I did, I'd forgotten about the scene where the guy is talking to him about it. But I remembered that ladder. The ladder referred to a drug called the ladder. I knew there was like a, a, a psycho, all, you know, psychoactive drug that was called the ladder in this movie. Um, That's but cool. I couldn't remember I was, exactly how it played. I out. was just taking the Jacob's ladder of biblical, biblicalness. Totally. All right, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, which uh, we got some information on from Jason Curry. He sent us a nice email. Oh, yes, he did. He did. And uh, are you going to read that at the end? Do you want to hang on oh, to that? No, if, if it applies right now, go ahead. And I don't it. think it does yet. Okay. And it's kind of lengthy to do right now. Um, Jason Curry sends long emails, and I feel bad because <laughs> I can't always read them promptly enough to give him a good response. And then he's emailing again. Which is cool. I like that he communicates, but sometimes I'm like, I can't keep up, buddy. Love you. Keep emailing. It's awesome that you do, and I'm glad that you feel comfortable doing that, which is awesome. But yeah, this is a really good email, and we'll get to it in the listener comments. Ooh, dude. Yeah, actually, yeah, I'm looking at the part. Yeah, we'll definitely get to this really 100%. Good. It's a really good email. Um, but yeah, so, dude, chaos. Dude. And also, I don't know if you caught the Mekong Delta in 1971. Mm. That is extremely late in the war. Uh, I think pretty much all American troops are out of the war in 73, and the war was officially over in, in Vietnam in 75. And, you know, most of the high action of Vietnam was between like 66 through 69. That was like the fiercest fighting. So this is like, that's the other weird thing about this. It's super duper late in the war, which is a bizarre. The idea of, like, why would you experiment on troops now? I mean, I guess the idea of a desperation and they were looking for anything they could to, to, to I don't know, enhance the troops, mm. make universal soldiers out of them. Right, right. Again, it's, it's um, plot-wise, it's thin. Right, right. Right. <laughs> it's a little thin. Like, just put it in their MREs and make them aggressive <laughs> monkeys that bash each other's heads in. That, that'll be fine, right? There we go. I mean, it yeah. seems like a terrible plan. War man. Whoever the war man is on that should be fired. There we go. Got to be better. But chaos Stepping erupts. And, um, well, dude, and also, you know, I, one thing I want to say real quick about this movie. Too, I thought that, it was it, gas. I thought they were getting gassed by the enemy. Oh, that, yeah. That, they were like shaking out like it was like nerve gas. Or yeah. Shit. I was like, they're getting fucking 
sarin gas up the fucking nose. That's what's happening right now. I didn't realize it was their own shit fucking them up. Right? But no, dude, another aspect of this movie that is really, really solid, uh, incredibly good dialogue, incredibly realistic and authentic characters. Like, even just this opening Vietnam scene before everything, you know, breaks bad and goes fucking crazy, their their dialogue, their interactions, the way they joke with each other and bust chops, like, feels extremely genuine and, and authentic. Um, that's something, and that's another aspect of this movie that I'd forgotten about. I'm like, it, it just, that's something I, you know, I talked about it recently. I, I appreciate more and more in movies when they have a much more naturalistic feel about them. Whenever it starts to feel like, you know, I don't know, dialogue on, on the high stage where it's like, people don't say this yeah, shit. People yeah, don't yeah. talk like this. It, it, like, I, I, my tolerance for that has gotten so much lower over the years. Maybe it's because I'm just watching more and more movies, but like, it when if I'm ten minutes into a movie and characters are saying like I don't know I can't think of a great example of just like really punny one off one liners and being like quirky and, and also the biggest tell dude once you start seeing this it's gonna drive you crazy the biggest tell to bad dialogue writing is every character talks the same <sighs> everybody's quirky and says this everybody has one liners everybody's fucking quirky or everybody's a fucking sad sack and everybody has morose shit to say because it's like dude you can just tell it's one guy being i don't know how to fucking make people different <laughs> just i can only talk like myself and put that same dialogue in other people's mouths and, and, and the, in this movie so much of that happens because if i may so much of that happens right? because they're not they don't flesh them out they're just vietnam soldiers like right. on paper, or, or, or they just, don't have character development behind them to give them a voice. Totally. Or in, a, in an even worse situation, especially I think even it happens in war movies when people are really trying hard to make some political point, people are just fucking mouthpieces for an agenda. It's like they're not a human being with their own interests and their own you know mm. views of the world. They're just fucking mouthpieces to spout the agenda the writer agrees with or make a cartoon caricature of the an, you know antagonist of their agenda and make them say shitty shit. And I'm like, and it's just so transparent to me at this point. Or I'm like, ah, oh, boring. I don't care. Like, but these guys all feel real. Like, they just feel like guys in a horrible situation, aka war, getting through it together, goofing off. You know, it's a down moment, and they're just taking it easy. Carmelita says the opening dialogue was ad lib, which is beautiful because that means Ving Reams said the following. Ad libbed, by the way, right? He said the following, Mm -hmm. Matthew. (laughs) Come choke my black rooster, please. <laughs> so fucking good. And then, of course, Tim Robbins. Well, I don't have a tweezer. All I know is that <laughs> if I was watching this and I had a precious white daughter, I would have put my fingers in her ears. No, she cannot hear that. No way. In my, <laughs> with their high sex drives and muscles, in stay my, away. In my America, no, <laughs> absolutely not. It's not happening. White eighties dad America. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. But no, and that's what, what's so I great about this too. I will march right down to the police station with a clipboard. <laughs> I love if I names. have to, because <laughs> I'm a good citizen. Yep. Um, but no, one of the other things I like it's it's a small thing, but I really like it. Like I feel like a lot of times in movies, when a character is like busting another character's balls, uh, a lot of times the response is like, "I'll oh, fuck you, man," and maybe somebody maybe somebody laughs, but it's like there's not really a back and forth. And like you can tell when it, when they start exchanging this dialogue and busting each other, 
it, they're all just laughing at it. They're all just having a great time. Like it, this is how they get a rise out of one another in war and just having these down moments of laughing at one another, even though they're insulting one another. Like that's genuine guy friend shit. Yeah. And it just feels real. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I feel but like that's is, something this movie. Let's be real. It's a bit toxic. Um, <laughs> and in my opinion, Matthew, I think it's probably part of the downfall of Western society is this, sort of toxic masculinity that erupts from these young men. And, um, and we see it. Where are they? Well, they're in war, right? Where else would they be? They're just men, disgusting white and some black men. Mm-hmm. And um, wow. I don't like, uh, where do I, they're joking. I don't where? like their swearing. Um, it's demeaning. If one of these guys <laughs> may have been uncomfortable with it, who's he going to turn to? Who is he going to talk to if he has a problem with this jocular attitude, sir? Can you tell me that? Uh, can you tell me where to subscribe to your newsletter? <laughs> I'm starting a new podcast. <laughs> okay. By myself. And it's going to be called The Problem, The Downfall of Western Society. It's going to be called The Problem with Everything. The Problem with Everything. The Problem with Everything by Dean Martin. You're all not outraged enough. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. I love this shit. Anyway. Most insufferable podcast. All right. Yeah, man. It's good stuff. (laughs) These guys get fucked up. Can we move on? They get fucked up. Yeah, we got to get there. It's true. (laughs) The guy's leg hanging off was was something, but they get fucked up. Dude. And they scream and they cry and they were laughing minutes ago and that's the terror and horror of war. Um, and, uh, and, and not just that, like they do start getting shelled, like they're getting hit by mortars mm-hmm. and there is gunfire coming through and all at the same time as actual enemy combatants are, you know, firing at them and killing them. That's when these guys also start like fucking spazzing out super hard. Like, you know, one guy's like, fuck something's wrong. And he's putting his hand on his head and he starts falling down and people are just seizing and panicking. One guy's just spinning in circles. I mean, it just turns into fucking bedlam regardless of, of being attacked. Yep, 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 yep. And then our boy gets charged. Oh, dude. Just straight fucking bayoneted. That is brutal. <laughs> Rough. But he and wakes I, up friend, on a train. Oh, man. Dude, this fucking train sequence already is kind of terrifying. It is <laughs> kind brutal. Of, oh, my God. And did you notice this was on this viewing? I was like, "Wow, it is really." They put it right there up front for you to just be like, "So that's what this is, huh?" He wakes up and he looks up at the ads above him, and one is an ad talking about New York City, like <laughs> probably like a New York City tourism ad, and it's got a huge apple, on it, the yeah, big yeah, apple, yeah, yeah. the apple, aka yep. the, the temptation. <laughs> and then right next to the fucking that sign is in gigantic block letters, hell. <laughs> <laughs> Hell in big red block letters, and you know, probably like call this hotline to talk to a you know, get saved today. Um, but dude, straight up, this movie is saying Jacob is in hell. This is hell, we're in it. This is at, at best, this is purgatory, and more likely that he is in some form of, of hell right here from the jump, indeed. And um, when they show him in the seat, kind of um, a medium shot, it's a little, a little Dutch tilt on it, gives you a little sense of. Ugh. And you can do that to people without them even realizing what you're doing. And just the dirty ass train and ugh, it's nasty. And this is just smacks of seventies trains in New York where you just get stabbed. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, good old subways. 
Ah, I'll never forget the time I had to ride the subway by myself until four in the morning because I was fucking lost as shit in New York. Ah, it's good times. Good times. <laughs> good times. <laughs> so uh, he walks by uh, this, I'll be play this sort of Romany looking woman. Like <laughs> yeah, she's going to hand him a silver cross and tell him, put this on for the dead move fast. <laughs> <laughs> Dracula. <laughs> uh, but no, dude, I that this is such an unsettling moment. Like he comes up and asks her, Hey, you know, I fell asleep. You know if this is Bergen Street? And she says nothing. And it's not even one of those things where it's like, oh, she probably just doesn't speak English and you don't understand. She just stares at him with those like gigantically widened eyes. It's fucking creepy. It's so creepy, <laughs> like, man. It's, really creepy the way she looks at him like it doesn't feel human already this movie does such a good job of being unsettling and scary like it's just perfect for that really i mean it as far as this is another one of those movies that is up there among the best of setting atmosphere like Mm. the atmosphere of this movie is 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 it's so well established and maintained throughout the entire movie. Like it has this air about it that makes even normal things feel strange and surreal and otherworldly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's perfectly set up right here too, isn't it? With him being alone. I mean, nobody is around. That's really weird. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's just completely emptied out. And, oh, and also dude, him walking by as he's stepping off the train, looking over at the homeless guy sleeping and he curls his tail back up Yay. into him and he only gets a, to gl- get a glimpse of it in the train, you know, leaves. Oh God. What a fucking moment. You are in hell among demons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of the stuff, there's a poster that says ecstasy. There's all the, there's a lot of this stuff lingering in the background, but all these gates, I like this next gate he encounters because it's on a stairway. So he's trying to ascend and it's not letting him. Oh, that's a good point. Kind of cool, that's right? Really it's, it's almost yeah. like a little metaphor for the whole movie in which he's like, nope, you can't go up just yet, sir. Not yet. Yeah. You are not ready. But, but this immediate feeling, this is such an uneasy feeling, right? This being alone in this place. Totally. I'm just wandering these places. And I mean, especially once, I mean, it's it's a very old metaphor and one that I know Freud was really fond of, the idea of trains representing death, you know, because it just, it's unstoppable. Like you standing in front of a train, like there's nothing you can do. It's just going to barrel straight into you and there's no opposing it. <laughs> uh, once he's on the tracks and seeing just a, a big like visual motif throughout this entire movie is like shadows and darkness obscuring things yeah. and like all you can see from this train are it's two fucking beaming like hell eyes <laughs> just coming straight for you uh that death is upon him like this whole opening sequence really it's almost like a prologue for the entire thing of him you have woken up you are in hell death is you know has already taken you and you're you're kind of powerless right yeah at this point death is irrelevant you know Death has already done what death is going to do. Now we're talking very much uh, a journey of the soul, so to speak. Totally. <clears throat> yeah, dimly lit, a lot of shadow play. The um, the uh, oh the God. use of Dude, lighting the f- is very clever. Oh, definitely. And also the fucking faces Dude. among the train when he dives I off to the that. side. It is. See, that's what I'm talking about, dude. This is it's the inexplicable kind of- terror. It's inexplicable terror. Like the exactly. hands on the mirror, on, on the hands on the glass. That's not right. That's wrong. Right? Something's wrong and here. 
and I will fucking preach it all day long. Sensory rejection making, here, right? Exactly. And like, if you're making a horror movie, a big fucking alien monster thing running down the hall to kill you, yeah, it's scary. I mean, hey, don't want to die. Don't want to be eaten alive. That's fucking scary. But there is something so much more interesting and like we've already been saying, unsettling about, for one, I think it's really crucial that this is something we all know. There's not a person alive who hasn't seen a bus or a train go flying by and you kind of look at it and the faces inside, you, you can make out faces and see people, but they blur. And you know, that's an image we're all very familiar with. Not me. I have perfect turn, vision. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I forgot. And a million dollars and a million points. I forgot. Points. I forgot. I got like $2 million now, but perfect, perfect <laughs> vision, like, bro. <laughs> uh, but no, like I, no, I love that they use – <laughs> Oh, really? Oh, I, I couldn't tell. Uh, <laughs> you, but no, like, you mean you're not being serious? You don't have perfect vision? <laughs> perfect, flawless, God-appointed eyes. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but no, like I, I love that it takes something that we everybody is familiar with and then – turns that and like to see the train going by and every single face and hand is pressed against the window staring at you and it's they're all dark and blue and strange and, and nondescript like you can't really yeah. make them out featureless like mm. so creepy and then that fucking face on the back of the train staring back at them with no features waving to him god like that shit those images stick with me so much more than any fucking vampire werewolf alien any of that shit like this is the shit that is disturbing right he finally gets home and we meet jezebel another biblical name indeed and um he's had a rough day and you know he gets there with his big tall gangly ass and she's so tiny it's hilarious um, she's super tiny and um yeah he just said he called in sick so i worked and he went to take a shower he got some overtime so he's happy about that and um she's like look uh what happened to your pants don't ask she had a rough day get in the shower <laughs> yeah yeah and this again it feels like a very normal real relationship mm. like, they you know they they, I don't know. I can't tell if they live together. It seems like they do. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, she and she yeah. just is immediately dripping with sensuality. Oh my god, absolutely! Like and saying that's, he that's, looks terrible, saying he looks terrible, but biting your lip in a way that makes me go, "You look like you're about to feast upon him." <laughs> yeah, that works for exactly. me. Um, oh yeah. And then we kind of cut back to him crawling. She goes in the shower with him, right? And then we cut back to him crawling around in the jungle with guts ripped out. Ooh, and we're thinking, brutal. oh, he's just remembering these traumatic things, right? This is him. This is him having his you know horrible flashbacks, and you know he he obviously has survived and come home from Vietnam because they talk about it in the past tense. Mm-hmm. Ah, everything's fine. Um, in this moment here, he looks up and he sees a spider web in the rain. Kind of wild, huh? Yeah, that, see, that, taking advantage of those everyday things and focusing on in on them in a way that highlights how intricate and strange they actually are if you take the time to look at it that is just for one it's great filmmaking because i'm like with a camera you can you can focus in on these kinds of things you know that's shit you can't do with a play not even a book not visually you can only describe it and to take the time to to kind of show how surreal these you know a spider web covered in droplets of rain looks when you really sit there and look at it like the intricacy the the complexity and it's almost a baffling thing if you sit there and look at it and we're you know, confused and not understanding what you're looking at. Mm. 
And that, that's part of what I get from it too, that he's looking up at it, uh, you know, and so in pain and disheveled and, and, you know, traumatized already at this point and you know, bleeding out that it, it, it looks confusing and scary to him. Right. Like a trap. Yep. Yep. And then um, we get to the next morning. He wakes up and they're having a bit of a conversation. And she says something about, um, she hands him something and then says, oh, your kid dropped this off. Who, Jed? Or whatever. And she's like, oh, I, I don't know the little one. <laughs> she doesn't know their fucking names. <laughs> yep. Now that's the first indication that something isn't quite right. As far as Jesse goes? Correct. Yeah. There's right? something more there. There's something, it's weird that they, she would have such a, casual and uncaring demeanor towards the kids it's true right yeah and and not only that like especially you know, shortly she, after this sorry especially because she seems like somebody who is very interested in caring for him right yeah very caring for him yeah uh and you know and and right after this you know she she gives it to him and he opens it up and realizes it's a package of pictures and all these pictures of you know him his own you know childhood pictures and his family pictures and pictures of him and his wife and then also pictures of his kids, including his son, who died. And I find one of the strangest reactions that she has in the entire movie hmm. is when that. he cries at the image of his fucking son. And she comes over and says, I hate things that make you cry. Mm-hmm. And takes all the rest of the pictures away mm-hmm. and fucking burns them. Like, he he barely reacts to that. But I would have been like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, absolutely not. Put all that shit down. Like, don't even think about touching it. That's yeah. crazy. That's some crazy shit. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's really weird. It's, uh, it's a tell, you know? And I think that's... It's a huge tell. And I think that's what... You know, when I was reading that Uproxx article that uh, Carmelita sent over, that's... I was thinking about her when I was rewatching this after reading that just about how she had to kind of alter her performance. Yeah. Yeah. That it was like too easy to tell that she was, you know, being subtly evil. (laughs) Mm. And you know, evil is a strong word here, but, um, I think it's definitely, it is. And and, and doesn't she say, I think she casually kind of says, isn't that the one that died? Yeah. That's how she said That's the one that died. Like you don't, that seems like, a weird way to say it. It's a very impersonal, right. like, article, right? I feel like most people would say, oh, is, is that Gabe? If you know, he, like, and if you uh, didn't know his name, you'd say, oh, that's, that's, the, that's the son you lost. Or not, is that the one that died? Yeah. It's so it's weird. Callous. Yeah. Which is funny because there's so many times, there's so many moments where she's so, like I said, kind and caring. You know, outside of being very sensual all the time and, almost having a playful demeanor about her. She's also seemingly caring. Yes. And, you know, I mean, I think in a lot of senses, it, it starts to to come out, not explicitly ever really, but it's, you start to get the sense that she is caring for him, but with an agenda. Like, of like I want to, like, possess you. I, I want to own you. That's why I care so much about you in a way. Maybe, yeah, maybe. We can, we can kind of make those observations along the way here. But, but it's a cool way to start. <laughs> for sure. Damn, dude. Yeah. Um, and then she tosses them in the furnace. Um, that's one thing. I, I got a question for anybody. I'm about, to, I'm about to sound like a big old fucking country bumpkin country boy. Uh, 
is that a thing? Do apartment buildings just have constantly burning furnaces that you could just toss shit into? Is that real? Hmm. I mean, I guess. I don't know. That struck me as like a very, I was like, holy shit, there's just a burning incinerator in the building you can just drop shit into anytime? Maybe. I mean, yeah. I get, maybe it's supposed to be the heating furnace or whatever, but fuck, that's, that was bizarre to me. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of people who in New York are like, look at this fucking redneck, never seen a goddamn incinerator before. But I'm like, I, I don't know, I've never seen that. That's crazy. Yeah, well, I've never lived in New York. So, so I couldn't no. tell you, but I, I've never seen anything like that in an apartment. Unless, yeah, unless we're just supposed to believe it's some sort of stove that heats the apartment, and that's the shot of it going in. But it looked a little weird, a, but it was like outside the fucking, apartment. They have an old-timey fucking coal shoveler downstairs. Oh, I gotta keep the building warm. <laughs> Shoveling in more coal in our fucking furnace. Yeah, it's, it's weird. weird because it's the next day, and it's not in the apartment. It's outside of the actual domicile. You know, right? Yeah, it's somewhere like it looks hall. like she's putting it in the mailbox. It did, yeah. Like at first, I thought she was like just dumping it, in, or even like down into like a trash chute or something. But when you see him go into the fire, I was like, "Whoa, that you have a <laughs> incinerator in your building? Crazy!" All right, it says Kernerator on the door, so I'm looking it up right now. Kernerator. Yep, Kernerator. Interesting. Interesting. Um, Let's see. I went right to Amazon. What a convenience. Kernerator built in the chimney. Interesting. So they would do this back in the day in old nice houses, which was um, the advertisement. This is really fascinating. It says, that's what you'll say again and again if your architects, uh, if your architect specifies a kernerator in your new home. Try the kernerator. Destroys without odor or expense. All kitchen refuse, wrapping paper, faded flowers, paper boxes, rags by burning. Requires no fuel other than the dry waste that is thrown in in handy kitchen hopper. So, yeah, that used to be a thing. This particular ad is for the Kernerator built-in chimney, which is um, in Milwaukee, as the Algonquin called it, Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> um, Interesting. Yeah, so that must have been a thing when they were just like, yeah, burn it all, right? That's good for the ozone. Just throw everything yeah, in the fire. Fun. That's the move. <laughs> Throw batteries down there, old phones. Who gives a fuck? Burn it all. Yep. There's a there's a full text version of it if you want to read all about it. But it was a, a system of disposal, an odorless one, because it was built into your chimney, and this scent and smoke would carry it directly out of the chimney. So there you go. Huh. That's kind of cool. We learned something new today. Story, story time, mate. <laughs> oh, yeah. But we know that our boy is a mailman. He's a mailman. He's one of those mailmen. He's a mailman. And um he uh he's driving his box truck, beeping his horn, and he ends up in the uh in the in the mailman facility. And he, he's singing his song on his way to work uh, mm. that becomes kind of a recurring thing throughout the movie. You know, when there are gray skies, I don't mind the gray skies. You turn them blue. That's like this song that he keeps singing. You know, lots of different characters recognize it. It's, it's a weird, like, recurring almost symbol through this movie. Yep. And he surprises Jesse with some lunch. Dude, super cute. This is cute shit. Yeah. He also, has cute in spades. Dude, he does. 
He really does. He does. So does she. They're fucking cute. Like, yeah. That's what's, uh, in a way, it almost sucks that this is a story about, you know, the afterlife and, and damnation and demons and, and she's Jezebel and she's actually not all what she seems, blah, blah, Because otherwise, I'm like, they're a super cute couple. This is really sweet. I'd be happy if this was just like a romance story about them. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're really nice. Like, I want them to be happy. It's funny, yeah. Sad. And it's kind of perfect because she has that sort of fiery Latina thing, right? And he has that country bumpkin, not even country bumpkin, but more like Midwestern sort of blue-eyed, tall, aw shucks kind of thing. (laughs) Billy from BSG. Yeah, and and she's just like, I'm going to fuck the shit out of him. You'll never know what happened. Going to fuck your dumb white brain. And he's just, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Like, that's a turn on for her, right? She wants to corrupt that boy. And he's just (laughs) like, well, aw shucks. My penis is ready. Um... Yeah, and it's and it's it's also it almost almost plays into the movie a lot too, which is like he's in a sense kind of an innocent victim, and she's this sort of uh, tempting and demonic force, right? Right. You know, that's white people are innocent, Latin mm -hmm. people are demonic tempters. I think is what the movie's trying to say. Of course, yes. You know, the, the movie proposes its scale of darkest skin to most evil skin. Um, you know, of course. That of course. and black people don't have penises. They have roosters between their legs. That is something <laughs> Bing Rames taught me. A salacious <laughs> slur this movie invented. Uh, but no, I want to I do a that's quick... That's why I had, the, I had these black neighbors in the night. I sometimes just hear, and I was like, what's going on over there? At midnight, why do I... Hey, hear... You guys better not be cockfighting out there. Why do I hear a rooster crowing? Are they having sex again? <laughs> oh, fuck. I don't know what Bing Rames taught me, but he didn't teach me that. He taught me all about uh, Mission Impossible, though, in, in Marcellus Wallace. <laughs> well, also, I want to ask you real quick. Um, what do, when you hear the name or the you know the name Jezebel? What do you, how much do you know about that? What do you think of? It? I mean, I I've heard it always. You know, the same about harlot, you Jezebel, like oh you you tramp, you whore kind of thing. Like that's how it's thrown around. But it is a it's a biblical uh, you know character, biblical story. Yeah, was you know she a queen it? of sorts? She was queen of Israel. Oh Jesus, queen of the Israel. Uh, no, I wanted to read a real quick, a very quick one paragraph summary of her because I, you know, I didn't remember any of this shit. Very uh, rusty on my Bible stories. Um, but according to the book of Kings in the Hebrew Bible, Jezebel incited her husband, King Ahab, to abandon the worship of Yahweh and promote worship of the deities Baal and Asherah on a national scale. So she basically got them to stop being monotheists and promoted polytheism. Uh, in addition, she ordered the prophets of Yahweh to be massacred and personally organized the execution of Naboth, a law-abiding landowner, after Ahab coveted his land. For these transgressions against the God and people of Israel, Jezebel met a gruesome death, thrown out of a window by members of her own court retinue, and the flesh of her corpse eaten by stray dogs. <laughs> so, uh, rough go of it at the end there. Delicious. But that is that is her, the, the, the corrupter, the temptress, the... You know, pulling you away from the the one true faith and promoting these you know uh, like false gods or whatever in the eyes of the Bible and and you know corrupting the king and getting people killed. I knew that. That's, you know, that's I knew just, all that. Oh, cool! Yeah, you're so smart. Mm-hmm. Wow, I'm so glad you. Um, you know, it's so impressive that you knew all of it after I said the yep, summary. That's I already knew really all that. So, cool. I mean, why are you even on the show? To be honest with you, <laughs> you know it all. <laughs> I know it all. <laughs> you know it all, man. Your newsletter is going to be so good. Winning. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Has AIDS killed that fuck yet? What the fuck no is he way. He's impervious to <laughs> he's impervious to STDs. 
I mean, his mick, his dick might have grown into just straight up being a mushroom at this point, but he ain't going to die. Yep. Ain't going to kill him. Nope. God bless him. <laughs> so here they are being cute at work. And yes, that Jezebel stuff is very interesting. I'm not being an asshole. I mean it. It's cool. I like it. We see a lot of that kind of underpinning in this film. Totally. And then, you know, in the, we go... Uh, straight from, I guess, the, the post office, you know, which he kind of, it's an interesting cut where, like, uh, Jesse starts right. to kind of crack his back and we cut to his, you know, to God cracking his back. I mean, his chiropractor oh, uh, cracking his Christ back. For sakes. <laughs> Dude, come on. The, the movie lays it on the a little The glowing bit white him. behind him in the white coat. <laughs> it's a little, it, uh, it gives you some hints when it comes to this guy, when it comes to Louis. Yeah, on a rewatch, dude. Come on. No, I mean, I'm. Hey, I don't dislike it at all. I actually really like it. But I'm like, I, on this viewing, even as soon as he stands up and the lights behind, I'm like, oh, so this is like God. <laughs> it's like so this is like the God guy. <laughs> He's the sweet angel man who who fixes you with his hands. He heals you with his hands. Are you kidding me? This is God. <laughs> Every Italian agrees that Danny Aiello is a god. Yeah, he's a fucking guy. You see him in you see him in Ghost Dog. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I'll wrap this thing around your neck. You. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, exactly. You know what that was? That's Jesus throwing the fucking Pharisees out of the temple with his whips, <laughs> kicking over tables and smashing up shit. Pit of vipers. You know, cool Jesus. The, the Jesus that had a pack of Marlboros rolled up in his sleeve. That fucking <laughs> badass Jesus that I love to hang out with. <laughs> yeah, made by another Italian Scorsese, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, mm, shit. Man, that's good stuff. But he's good. He's so charming. I love him. I love he's it. a bright yeah, spot in the movie. Yeah. He's fantastic. He's he's he's, he's the perfect bright spot in an otherwise you know bleak film. So, oh, so bleak. It's yeah. not no, quite he's, Alien he's Three, but it almost is. <laughs> but they're just more likable characters in this. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Alien Three is still like the gold standard of gray, bleak death. Bleak characters that nobody cares about. Who all no die horrible deaths. Yeah. Except for Charles <laughs> Dolls. But um yeah, he's uh he goes he's he's out of there, his back's killing him and and he says uh he's talking to him about Sarah. That's right, talking about his ex wife. Mm-hmm. Because you know, basically I, I think we should talk about this too. The way Please do. Uh, the way the movie presents the storyline, I think is what we should say. You know, we open in Vietnam, he's horribly injured. Uh, and we cut to him waking up at home. So we th- we're sitting here going, okay. So that was the Vietnam, you know, Vietnam War in the past. He's back home now. He's a, he's a you know a, a veteran who's working, and he has been divorced from his wife for whatever reason we don't know yet. Uh, he's you know living with Jesse, and he's he's been seeing Louis for a long time, obviously because he knows him and his wife, and he still sees his wife, and they're very good friends. Uh, so that's where we are. That it seems like we're going in this chronological pace where we start. We saw him in war and how he was injured, and this is him back home and dealing with the trauma of being a veteran and and getting back into his life. That's what we think we're in right now. Correct. Yep. And um, yeah, he says, um, you know, she talks about you. That's love. Blah blah blah. And it's almost like you, you get impression the impression that. ILO is pushing him towards Sarah. Oh, yeah. oh, he flat out says in the scene, you should go back to her. <laughs> He's just like, you should go back to well, her. Okay. He explicitly she just says it, yeah. And then we yeah. get those, um, we get the, we get the neck crack, the flashlights back to Nam, and then he's Ooh. back again quickly. And it is, um, 
Uh, what a shot of him very godlike after that. Oh, totally. Also, I mean, dude, what a shot of the, the cinematography in this movie is fucking stellar. Like, I, I was enjoying that the whole way through, too. The shots of the soldiers coming through, like, the jungle brush with the red lights and their profiles being lit up in red as they're coming through the wet jungle towards him and shit. So fucking good. And the dialogue there in that scene, it's very quick. He's like, I found one. I think he's still alive. Oh, man, his guts are hanging out. Let's see if we can get him back in. Great. Cool. <laughs> or actually, no, you know what? I'm sorry. That's one of the later parts when they cut back to that same scene where they're finding him. They reveal that dialogue. At this point, all they say is, oh, yeah, I found one. He's alive. Right. That's right. Oh, also, you know, have you ever heard the thing? And this might be like old school stoner rumor bullshit that has just floated around amongst stoners forever or whatever. But have you ever heard the whole thing about cracking your neck and getting LSD flashbacks? Yes, I've heard of that. Yeah, like that's one thing I was wondering about this scene. I was like, is that is that was was that supposed to be a red herring in this moment? Like he got his neck cracked and he had like a, a weird intense maybe, flashback. dude. That's a really good point. Yeah, because I mean, I was like, damn, is that like a embedded spine LSD flashback shit? <laughs> I don't know. Very cool. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I never thought of it that way. I guess it could be further keeping us because nothing is obvious at this point and in and because he is because he came from vietnam and because we didn't really know a lot about a lot of this stuff back then a lot of this stuff can just be assumed he is he's traumatized and he's seeing things he that aren't there yeah yeah exactly Mm -hmm. but no you're right in this next moment once it does come back to the scene i mean this is the most godlike Louis shot. The, the light behind him. And even, you know, uh, Jacob's like, you know, you look like an angel, Louis, an overgrown cherub. Has <laughs> <laughs> anybody ever told you that? And he's like, yeah, you, every time you fucking come in here. Yeah, it's awesome. He's <laughs> like, hey, hey, I brought you a fucking pasta fajoule over here. <laughs> um, yeah, you want me to dump the mozzarella on your chest? Uh, Jessica and Big I went to, a, and went to a very fine Italian restaurant today. Um, we don't typically do things like this, and it was like, be- you can look it up online if you guys want. It's in, the, um, it's in North Providence, the north end of Providence, where a lot of the mafioso hang out, and it's called, it was called Camille's, and it was fucking oh, man. amazing. Mafia as shit. Holy fuck, dude. It was <laughs> so mafia. It was awesome. It was quiet, and they said it's just kind of a slow period. But I mean, these guys—it was a well-oiled machine, perfect fucking food. It wasn't even a ton of money. I mean, we didn't—we only got like one wine each, but um, like a glass of wine. I'm kind of trying to get into wine. <clears throat> and yeah, boy, when you drink good wine, it's like, oh, okay, this is what it's supposed to taste like—not yeah. a twelve-dollar bottle. You know what I mean? When you buy like a <laughs> you know twelve-dollar glass, it's a little different. Totally, but um. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's cool. It was like a converted mansion or something. Pretty badass. But Danny Aiello made me think of that. I was as soon as I saw Danny Aiello, I was like, I'm pretty sure I saw him at that restaurant today. <laughs> <laughs> in the back, fucking oh, flipping salad up in the air or something. No gloves either, because that's for pussies. Raw dog <laughs> in those hands and deer salad. Hell yeah, the way God. Intended. I wiped them off on my apron. That's good that's enough. Right, the way God intended, Matt. <laughs> Anyway, we also learned that um, our boy is uh, very smart, PhD, and he uh, yeah. works at the post office. So there's and we don't we never really find out what that PhD was in, right? I feel like it's alluded to that it was in philosophy, but I'm not sure about that. Yeah, 
I can't remember. Hmm. But he talked, well, because they actually do discuss philosophers kind of briefly later for a moment. And, and that's why I kind of was like, oh, wait, is he like a philosophy PhD guy? Maybe. And, they, you <laughs> know, that, his nickname in Vietnam was the professor. They all called him professor because he was so fucking smart. He had yeah. a PhD. Yep. Absolutely. I had a weird flash now. What? I don't know. I've been having them recently. Anyone ever tell you that? What'd you say? <laughs> that you look like an overgrown cherub. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> but, um, I, dude, I love this next scene. Oh, you, you mean when he's walking on the street? Yeah, dude. Dude, yeah. This is really The sisters good. just start fucking singing at him. That is amazing. <laughs> I fucking love this shit, man. It's and awesome. also, it's like... Wh- one of the very few ultra rare light it's jovial great. moments in this movie. I wanted <laughs> like, him to like, dance you, just a little bit so they all lost dude, their fucking minds. Same. They would have lost really their like, fucking gonna, minds. It would have been great. You have like six people singing for you. You're not going to give them a little shimmy? Nothing? Nothing? <sighs> Come on, so man. Weak. And they're like, where are you going? I'm like, seriously, where are He's you like, going, He's like, oh, shucks. Oh, I'm just a big old gomer white guy. I don't fucking know. It, it, like, was, you it can't, was awesome. You can't love... shimmy a little bit, bitch. Come on. I I, I just love that scene. It's just nah, so good. It's, it's, uh, and that's, dude, another thing this movie is so expert at is these harsh juxtapositions. Like, we go from that scene, which is fucking adorable, super charming, pretty much smash cut to him almost being run the fuck down dude. by this crazy ass car. It's such a jolting change i mean it's there's there are maybe two seconds between those girls singing to him and then this car trying to fucking kill him you're just like whoa oh my god like Mm. i was just having fun what just happened giant american car too dude yeah big old boxy ass cadillac run you down i expect to see another car just as big chasing that one with seagal with a beret chasing it (laughs) richie Mm -hmm. (laughs) anybody seen richie (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to keep coming back till somebody remembers seeing Richie. But no, he, um, they don't, it's not, it's not Steven Seagal. It's this movie. And, um, <laughs> a good movie. The fucking face in the, oh no. Jesus Christ, dude. Jesus Christ. It's fucking terrifying. I mean, one face that goes by has like kind of like stretched, exaggerated features. And then the, the other one is it almost, it looks like they have a bag over their head that's had all the air sucked out of it, where it's like a bag pressed over your skin and mm. like, like softens all the rest of your features to where you just look like a blank fucking robot. Uh, and dude, like the angle at which, I mean, I wish I could pause at the exact second, but the angle when it cuts to the yeah, interior yeah, of the car, the looking back head. at him, yes, and you you don't even see nope. you don't even see all of the head. You see the side of it. It's just just vibrating in <sighs> inhumanly so fast. Gross. And that is this is straight up like expert level horror shit in my mind. Of this movie never makes the mistake of showing too much. We always get just enough to make your your primal lizard brain go fucking wild sure. and you don't get you don't get any further explanation. And that is the way to do horror. Yeah. It's so good. So fucking good. It's great, man. And it's it's a it is a a teaser for horrific things to come, right? It's just tapping into the edge of your psyche a little bit that something is amiss there, but we didn't get the whole frame on it. And and so badly we want the camera to move over. Definitely. It's cool. Um, Also, he goes to see his old doctor. Indeed, indeed. And he talks to this lady. (laughs) This fucking horrible bitch woman. God. But I mean, also she's, you know, 
She's a demon. What do you expect? <laughs> She's got <laughs> horns coming out of her fucking head. Yeah, absolutely. But um, this is good. Tim Tim Robbins, man, he's great, isn't he? Dude, I know we talk so a lot good. about him as Andy Dufresne. Yeah, yeah. You know what's crazy is that like, I I feel like I mean shit. When's the last time Tim Robbins has been in a movie? It's been a long time. Man, I don't think he gives a fuck. I don't. Yeah, he's, he's, just he's retired. He's just like done. Yeah. But I'm always I, I have the same feeling that I have about him as I have like about Gene Hackman. I'm like, where'd you go? Like, why why are you not still? You don't. You just don't want to do it anymore. I guess like you're so good. You just. <laughs> Just you're just out. You're, just, you're like I'm it. I'm done. That's it. I made my last movie. He, he does a TV um, show called Here and Now. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, which is currently running, and um, he has a movie coming called A Patriot, which is in pre-production. Hmm. Which is set in a futuristic okay. authoritarian state. Ooh. Um, you got me. You got I'm me. Interested. A loyal government <laughs> official makes a startling <laughs> discovery that caused her to doubt her allegiance. Okay, I'm in. Yeah. Fuck, I'm really in. I'm on that. really, what really in. Yeah. It will be directed by Dan Pringle. Very, hey, yep. adorable name. It's not a good name. Hi, I'm Dan Pringle. <laughs> and I and I have a magic bag. He hasn't really done much. He did a, he did a film called K Shop. A kebab shop owner's son, Salah, turns vigilante after his father's death in an effort to clean up the relentless onslaught of bougied-up thrill-seekers waging war on his doorstep. Okay. Uh, okay. Looks like it's set in <laughs> England, but I don't know. All right. Okay, and you're going to direct Tim Robbins. All right. Oh, good okay. luck, sir. Good luck. The, hey, he's going to be the only good part of your movie. Good luck very much. Thank you. Have a good one. Yeah. Um, that sounds interesting. <laughs> uh, no, you know, one thing... Oh, God, you know what this movie got me thinking about? Since, you know, we, we watched Unforgiven not that long ago. I, I watched The Mule recently, and I've been kind of on a Clint Eastwood kick. And, you know, after watching this and, and, and really, you know, enjoying Tim Robbins' performance, I was like, fuck, I want to watch Mystic River again. It has mm. been a long time since I've watched that movie. That is a that great is, film. It's a great movie, a, gr- a truly great movie. Um, and, I, and I'm like, I always remember how great he was in that movie. And I'm like, fuck, I need to watch that. <laughs> I need to watch that movie again. Yeah, I watched his name's great in it, too. Fucking in. Yeah, crazy son of a bitch. He's so good in that movie. That's such a good movie. I love that movie. <laughs> yep, crazy. Ah, Clint Eastwood's such a good director. My shit. mom is convinced he looked like my father in that movie. Clint, I mean, uh, Sean Penn? Yeah. When my that, dad was a little hmm. bit younger. When when she you know? when she knew him. I didn't know him then, but... <laughs> I mean, I guess, know, I, even, I guess I did. Picturing... Picturing your dad, I can actually kind of see it. I can actually yeah. a little bit see it. I can totally imagine. Yeah, it's that. the it's the it's the beak. <laughs> yeah. If he had the mustache, like yeah. my dad rocks the stash. Yeah, I can see it. Got that schnoz. I mean, I'm looking yeah. at images of him now, but I can kind of see it. Um, yeah, that's that's why your dad slayed so much back then. Yeah, man. You know how it goes. But um, <laughs> he's about as intense as he was too. My dad was an intense dude back in the day. But the horns, man. This shit is fucking revolting. Oh, God. Yeah. Ugh. Dude. And I mean, the way this movie is so fucking good at taking, like we've already said, like normal moments, the normalcy of an everyday moment, and then it just smashes into something utterly bizarre and, and changes the whole thing. And I mean, it's already, it's a it's an odd confrontational fucking tone that, it, you know, he's like, I'm, I'm here, you know, for this doctor. And she's like, oh, we have no record of him. 
And she's just so immediately dismissive. Like, you know, there's no, I mean, obviously hey, maybe she's just tired of this fucking job and she gets a lot of wackos saying crazy shit. Yeah. I can understand that. But at the same time, it's like, dude, he's just asking. He's just asking, like, why are you so fucking like confrontational and pissed off about it? Uh, and she's like, well, we have no record of him. We have no record of you at being a patient. Like, what do you want? What do you get? Get out of here. Um, and dude, the moment when he sees, you know, she leans down, that hat falls off her head and you can see the horns just protruding from under her hair. They look like an infection growing. It's so creepy and gross. And he just, you know, pulls away and starts running down the hall, you know, to, to head towards the old doctor's room without an appointment. And she's like, she is screaming at him as if he just robbed the place. Yeah, man. Get back here. You can't do that. So I want to talk about this scene and that stuff because what the fuck is going on here? It's so intense. We know that he is not... I mean, if we're to to take the movie at face value, which is... This is... You you know... I, I think you could argue that, oh, maybe we're just seeing some of his life of things that really happened and then being around. But I don't think, though. I think we're seeing... A, a, a literal journey through hell as he's dying in Vietnam, right? I think that's what I'm supposed to believe here. Right, right. No, I think that's, yeah, that's the overall. I think that's overall what we're seeing. So it's kind right. of fascinating when I think about this moment with this lady and what what she is. So how is this hell realm? What's the real estate of this hell realm, hell realm, Right. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like it's almost like the more he starts to he's starting to gain awareness of things and I wonder what could be that's that's a fascinating part of this movie that I don't quite understand what's which is how is he starting to slowly but surely uncover these things that if it was up to the demons they would keep obfuscated from him or or maybe not like what is their purpose what is their goal to keep him there to keep him from realizing to keep him from making peace with it and, and taking that journey up the stairs with the sun and, and ascending the ladder to heaven, so to speak. What is their objective? How is it? Or is it just these really random encounters in this hell odyssey? You know, it's so bizarre to think about. Like if I try, yeah. trying to apply like like any logic at all to it, it's it's a challenge. And I don't mean it's a challenge in that it makes the movie bad. It's just really inscrutable so to speak this stuff i agree you know and, and it's I, creepy I feel like and i and i get that like it's scary and unsettling and you go oh what the fuck something is wrong and that's what you just keep saying the whole movie something is wrong something is wrong and those something's is wrong escalates throughout the movie but but the viewer's thinking oh my god he's having weird flashbacks something's wrong with him well, i don't know what his problem is and the lsd like you said could be that red herring and then it's like but then we think back on it, if he's literally journeying, journeying through hell, what is it just because it's cool and scary to have the nurse lady have horns in in that? Or is he starting to pierce the veil, so to speak? And if he is, why is he piercing the veil? Is it because he's thinking of things that are not jibing? Like maybe maybe he's like, oh, that, that person is dead and he gains awareness of that other Viet- – this guy, this doctor is a Vietnam doctor that he knew in Vietnam, we learn right later in the film. So it's yeah. almost like, what's happening here? Like, this is the part where it's really mind-bending, but but awesome and yeah. intriguing. And you know, it, one thing that I think is a big, 
it's a small piece of dialogue, but I think it's a big key to this movie is something that Louis talks to him about later on, the whole idea of, and it's so funny that we just covered Hellraiser on the bonus feed for hmm. members only talking about the idea, you know, there's that, that quote from Pinhead where he's like, we are, you know, demons to some, but angels to others. Yep. And, and Louis gives him that essentially the same kind of speech where he's like, it's all about your perception. He's like, you know, there's a philosopher who talked about when you're dying, you know, if you are not at peace and you're, you're fighting to stay alive, you, you see everything interacting with you as demons trying to tear your life away from you. But if you're at peace and you're ready to let go and, and ascend the ladder in a sense, then they appear as angels and they're releasing you from, from your life and freeing you. Um, and I think that's a big aspect of this whole story, which I was talking about of like, it's another, it's almost a separate layer from the biblical kind of interpretation of this movie of this idea of perception. And I, it, it kind of got me thinking about like, have you ever read any like a uh, Sartre, like John Paul Sartre? No. I, I've only, I'm not even going to pretend like I've read a ton. I've not read that much. You know, I read a lot of like stuff about him and stuff about his works. Not a ton. You I've think read you're better than me. <laughs> Here I am fucking laying out how little I've read and yet I'm being accused of lording it over you. Okay. Think you're better than fine. me because you read some <laughs> fucking poofter. Uh, baby, I'm never better than you. You got a million points. What are you talking about? Oh, you're, you're cash now, now I'm going to have to work for the next hour to try to one-up you to win the podcast. Oh, perfect. Because that's so what this is all about. Tom Winning Petty the and podcast. the Heartbreakers, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Tom Petty. Could you imagine trying to work with somebody like that? Dude, I would like fucking blow my brains sociopath. out after I blow your brains out. Like, it's just, it's complete <laughs> sociopathy, you know what I mean? It's horrible. <laughs> oh, fuck. But no, like, the funny thing is, one of the only, like, works of his that I have actually read in full was a play he wrote called No Exit. It was like a really famous play of his. And that's I've heard where of the that, quote, actually. You've read that? No, I've heard of that. Heard of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's definitely one of his most like known plays, and, and that's one of the things I, I've read. Uh, and that's where that really famous quote, hell is other people, comes from. Because mm. it's all about these three characters slowly realizing that they are in hell. And the main, you know, what like the main character who arrives there at, at the beginning of the play, while the two other people are already there, realizes, oh my God, hell is other people. I'm trapped among, like, we're going to be constantly awesome. in con, like, we're stuck in this room and we're going to constantly be in conflict for fucking eternity. Hell is other people. And to me, that's a big part of Jacob's perception of the world is that he can't and I think this also kind of comes in on the whole PTSD angle like he's become isolated he doesn't understand other people very well he's very upset and scared and paranoid and 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 traumatized and he can't get through to other people and and really ask for the help he needs and so they start to appear like fucking demons to him mm. uh you know this woman it's all very blocking existential his, isn't it super existential and you know he literally sees her as having fucking horns like she appears like a gatekeeper that won't let him through mm. and hell is other people in your life inscrutable faces that you can't understand what they're thinking about you and you assume they're thinking terrible things about you you know the, the curse of being locked inside your own mind while trying to understand other people's minds you know yeah a gatekeeper is a great way to describe her Right, totally. Yeah, and that's that's totally her. But like, she's uh, she's on the other side of that like that's whole right. partition and everything. <laughs> like, she's like this ancient fucking crib keeper, gatekeeper. Yeah, uh, the quote goes as follows, and I know you paraphrased it, but let's just give it some respect, shall we? It goes, sure. Eckhart saw hell too. He said, "The only thing that burns in hell is the part of you that won't let go of life, your memories, your attachments. They burn them all away." 
but they're not punishing you, he said. They're freeing your soul. So the way he sees it, if you're frightened of dying and and you're holding on, you'll see devils tearing your life away. But if you've made your peace, then the devils are really angels freeing you from the earth. It's just a matter of how you look at it. That's all. So don't worry, okay? You know what I call that person? What? Fucking quitter. <laughs> hey, you know what I call him? Big old fucking pussy. Giant bitch. Sounds like a super major quitter. Just roll over, lift your chin, bury your throat, and die. It's fine. Ah, the least charitable interpretation you could possibly get. <laughs> oh, hey, nice quitting. Eckhart. Nice quitting, bitch. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. You need to be like <laughs> bullet tooth Tony, man. Just <laughs> nigh indestructible. And you'd be like old fucking Jimmy Con and God. Oh, no, no. You're yeah. you standing there taking it till the last fucking 45 goes through your not face. Bullet booth, t- not bullet tooth Not bullet. Jesus Christ. Not bullet tooth Tony. More like Boris the Blade. Remember? The guy they couldn't kill in that movie. <laughs> oh, fuck. What is that from? Um, fucking um, not Lockstock. The other one. Snatch. Snatch? Yeah. Snatch. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit! <sighs> Whatever. <laughs> well, this is this is the part where he runs down to you know what used to be Doctor Carlson's office, and it comes across what looks to me like a veterans support group. Mm-hmm. Which I'm like, hey, bud, you might want to hang out with these guys for a minute. <laughs> like, you might this might be what you need. Uh, but the guy, you know, the guy who's leading that, the doctor, I assume, or a therapist or something you know, comes out, follows him out into the hallway to tell him, like, no, Dr. Carlson's dead. And he died in a car accident because his car just up and exploded. Hmm. Pretty strange turn of events. Yeah. Pretty rough, man. So this sets him back a little bit. He can't quite wrap his head around it. Yeah. No, it's a total... I mean, because it it is bizarre that the, the woman... You know, he if the guy's dead, okay, he's probably not listed as an active doctor at this fucking hospital anymore, but you have no records whatsoever of a Dr. Carlson ever having worked there. And even weirder that Jacob's not a patient mm. listed in those records. You know, it's pretty fucking bizarre. Yep. Yep, he has a he has a scene next with Jezebel where she's like maybe it's the pressure, you know, money. Obviously he doesn't have a ton of money. Um by the way, I don't know how long, much long. I don't. This is clearly not 2018 because the mailman's not living in the city anymore, is he? <laughs> right. <laughs> the fuck is that rent going to cost? But um, he uh, and then she says, "Well, maybe it's your wife. You're always thinking about her." Mm, yeah, she's always. And he's, he's like, like, "I don't bring I don't, her up. I'm all shucks." Oh, oh, Willikers. I don't never talk about her, man. She's like, maybe it's the war. And he shakes. Did you? I think that's an important. He sits up. Small yeah. moment again. He's immediately like ah, just sits up and does like I am not talking about that, mm-hmm. <laughs> not at all. And he's but that's he starts to talk explicitly to her, like talking about creatures, right? Demons. He's like they look like demons, Jez. Mm. Like they're coming to get me. Yikes! He looks so. Uh, he looks so affected by this too. That's 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 why. You need a good actor in this kind of movie, man. It, yeah, it helps deliver absolutely. the message of his discomfort. Right, 
Right. No, that's a that's a really good point. I mean, again, I ain't gonna try and play Monday morning leading actor, <laughs> but I feel like it is in a sense easier in certain movies when it's primarily about conflict between people and dialogue between those people because you can always bounce off of and react to other people as far as, you know, your acting goes. But in this movie, like, Tim Robbins' character is just straight up fucking haunted. Like, Mm -hmm. this is a lot of internal stuff that you you can't barely even talk about. So he just has to wear it on his face, and and he does, man. He seems, you know, weighed down by it. Yeah. What were they, Jake? Because he says inhuman. Then she runs her fingernails down his back. Very nice. And says, you still love me? Mm-hmm. He goes, she says, hey, at the end of the day, all I care about, do you still love me? Yeah. Do I still have you in my spider's web? Cut to, um, Dude. I don't want to sound, I'm, I don't want to sound closed-minded or prudish, but <laughs> I don't think I'm down with my girl dancing with a guy like that. Uh, to that extent, it's a little yeah, much. That's a bit much. I'm cool. Oh, you want to have a dance? Somebody wants to dance. Fine. And also, hey, yeah, when you dance, you dance near one another, and you have fun dancing near one another. Right. Yeah. And maybe I don't. Hey, you I don't, hands, I you don't want wow. your. I don't want your fucking. I don't want your underwearless dick flopping around in your trousers up against my wife's skirted body. Okay. <laughs> maybe I'm old fashioned. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Oh, shit. But no, you know what? He is being a bit of the old stick in the mud, being all like, oh, hey, we're at a party, but I'm not going to like dance with you. I'm like, dude, <laughs> come on. You, this fucking hot-ass Cuban girl who's just dying to dance, you're going to lose this chick if you're not at least willing to break yep. it out every now and then. Come on, <laughs> yep. dude. I agree Get with that. fucking program. I agree with that. Don't Gotta be dance. boring. Gotta dance, bro. Gotta dance. Gotta dance. But dude, no, this is another this is the first real scene of the movie Oof. that I remember start to finish with crystal fucking clarity. Oh, yeah. I remembered this thing top. Because to it bottom. gave you the most confusing boner as a young lad. Absolutely. I'm like, this seems awesome and hot, and also I want to pray because I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Y'all need Jesus after this scene. Jesus Christ, you do. <laughs> but um, yeah, man. It's uh, it's wild. Orgiastic revelry, I believe, is how it was described in the article that Carmelita sent me. What a great way to say it. Orgiastic revelry. Totally. And that's, you know, and that's the whole, that's how Jezebel is seen in the Bible is like, you know, this like Bacchanalian fucking hedonistic, sure, sure. ah, like figure. And this is kind of like she's in her element here. Makes sense. Um, and then the woman on the stairs, she is super flirty as well. Dude, yeah, seriously. And she's like, oh, you don't got a girlfriend? I was like, damn. <laughs> I'm trying to think. She was we, big. She did a lot of movies back in this time. She looked familiar. Right? Yeah, I was thinking about that. I was like, shit, where have I seen you? Yeah. I, couldn't, I could not place it. I could not think I'm of it. I'm pretty sure she she's, this is a really bad pull, and it doesn't really say much for her film career, but I'm pretty sure she's the wife of one of the men that die in the movie Navy Seals. <laughs> <laughs> shit Whoa, sorry that's a deep pull holy sorry. shit I saw the movie a lot of times as a kid it was really bad <laughs> that is but I a loved deep it <laughs> but deep I loved cut. it yeah uh, I'm trying to see if I can find her in the cast list but talk about it well no dude I mean this is such an interesting little moment like this as soon as she sees him she's like hey come on up here let, let me read your hand let me just like like right away like there's no real conversation between them she's just like ah oh, I need to read your hand just the second she sees him yeah and 
and she's so like sweet and warm and like flirty and but in a way everything she's talking to him about is the most horrible shit. Like she's saying, "Oh, I can tell you were divorced. Oh, I can tell you've led a hard life. Oh, actually, by this by this Yikes. line right here, you're already dead." Yeah, <laughs> like, and she's be- delivering it like a like a sweetheart. But you're like, "God, I'm getting the worst news fucking ever." Mm. Um, and you know, he laughs about it, and she's like, "Oh, sense of humor. Like it's cute. Like it is like this. You know, it, it's so funny how like charming and and warm this scene is. But it also is like she's telling him like dreadful news, right?" Yeah, her name is Stephanie Berry. She works a lot still. Nice. That's the best way no, I can it's... describe her. IMDP page. Shout out to Stephanie Berry. Yep. Um, <laughs> Finding Forrester. That was a big one I guess she was in with Sean Connery. Ooh. She played Janice Wallace. Ten years after Wallace. this movie. Wallace. But she's uh, still acting now. She did something called Before You Know It in 2019. It's post-production. She plays a woman named Siri. I don't know what that means. Like, mm. but yeah, she was in Luke Cage as an older woman. That's a bummer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but hey, you know, living off them craft services trucks, making money. You do what you, you, you do. What you you do. But no, yeah, this dude, it's so funny when he walks away. She's like, oh, just show me them baby blues once before you go. And I'm like, he's got so many women slobbering all over him. <laughs> like, you fucking goof. <laughs> but he won't even dance. God damn, dude. But dude, this fucking next bit, Jesus age Christ. It starts with I that mean, real creepy satanic looking dude in the corner. Oh, which guy? The, the guy with just like the... Long hair, goatee. He's kind of watching. <laughs> and then he does the head shakes. Oh, dude, the head shakes. <sighs> Jesus Christ. I mean, like, she's, you know, Jesse's like beckoning to him to come out, come dance. And he, he kind of like, have to. You'll have around. To. <laughs> You'll have to dance. And, you know, he kind of tries to for a second. Then he's like, ah, I'm sorry. I, I'm going to set this one out. And she kind of waves him off and starts dancing with this other guy. And it just slowly spirals out from there yeah. like it, it just gets more and more intense more like animalistic and just chaotic yeah he's wolf fucking her basically but not really right right but i'm saying the entire party like everything, yeah, everything all is, the activity yeah man. just like go like gets like a pe- like fever pitch and just goes wild and like you said we see the fucking demon you know vibrating head man standing there yeah, dude. And it just, dude, when you start getting those snapping clips of like the alien looking jaw, the fucking creature, and then you start to see the creature around her. This is, again, what I'm talking it about like, as far it as- It like scratches her ass to the bleeding. You see that? Yeah. And she's, and, and she's like into it. She's yeah, man. Like Orgiastic revelry. This. Come on now. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, it, it's so terrifying and out of control and just like completely beyond, you know- norms or anything at this point like she's like fucking to death <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like, yeah yeah exactly you know what i mean like yeah the white like some horn app like thing coming out of her mouth Yeesh. oh dude that's that's that thing's tail yeah, yeah yeah it's like fucking her with its tail and it pushes out all the way through her mouth <laughs> um but dude again expert level horror shit as far as you only see sides and 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 the glimpses and and pieces of whatever this thing is around you you never get a full mm. look at it and mm-hmm. to me that just adds to the terror of it of like what even is around her yeah 
And I mean, it pierces through. I'll never forget. That has been in my brain since I was like 10 years old or whatever, since I saw this fucking movie. That thing launching its tail up through her mouth, like that is wild. And of course, he freaks out and, and falls down and starts essentially, like, I think, even having a seizure as people pour over him and the strobe lights are going off. Dude, the, the fact that all these strangers are looking over him and as the strobe lights get slower and slower, they're just in darkness. They're just dark shapes of humans mm. standing over him. Oh, it's so creepy. And uh, Jesse's tired of her men flipping out on her. She's not very sensitive to his episode, is she? Super not. Super. Not until he's about to die. Correct. When she sees the... And, and again, this is how the movie keeps you off balance with her. Totally, dude. Because you're like, totally. man, this is a kind of a weird way to react to a guy that you know took a grievous wound in Vietnam, if we go with pretending he's not already dead or dying, and um, saw some terrible things and came back and is struggling and has been having a rough few days and had a bit of a meltdown at the party. <laughs> and uh, you're like, inconvenienced that you were embarrassed? Like, come on, man. Yeah, Stand he, he by your fucking man. Down. <laughs> it's not even like he got jealous and was shitty. It's like he fell on the floor and was like having a fucking seizure. Like, uh, I think it's a little more than being a, a, a lame stick in the mud at this point. I wonder. Ruining your night. And, and that's kind of my point. Like, if, if she is a demon of sorts, what is her goal? Yeah. To be honest, is it like. To keep it status quo and to keep him. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Like, what what is the purpose of what they're doing? Do they. Do they do they benefit from his presence in this purgatory slash hell of sorts? Do they benefit? Does she somehow benefit from him being there? Well, when you think about it, all she ever wants him to do is to, you know, she's like always, she's beckoning him out to dance. Like she wants him to like, you know, get into the, the, the frenzy of it with her. Perhaps, yeah, I guess perhaps her, perhaps her goal is, is like you're saying, perhaps it's something about, keeping him from taking the time to reconcile these old feelings, perhaps. Perhaps keeping him in this state of disarray is is good for her. Mm. Yeah, exactly. That might happen. And you I know? don't mean her. I mean her. I mean the, the fucking, like, hell, basically. <laughs> like, right, right. You know, and the part that I struggle with with this character actually comes in in this scene because, you know, she calls, you know, she checks his temperature and it's insanely yeah, she, high. She's amazing. She takes care of him. Right, right. She checks his temperature. It's way off the charts high. The doctor, you know, obviously advises her to like lower his body temperature because that's the shit that'll kill you. Um, and you know, she even runs out, gets all the neighbors. They they pull him into the bathtub. They pour the ice all over him. And of course, that shit would be painful as fucking hell. And it's it's a it's hmm. the the music is intense. It's like he's being tortured. And to me, this scene is, in my opinion, the best metaphor for the entire story in that it's the tone of this moment as it is, as if he's being tortured, like these are his torturers holding him down, pouring ice over him. He's screaming for them to stop and to stop, but they're saving his life. But, like, but so, okay. So that right there, but are yeah. they, I think so. I, what, yeah. if, what if let's pretend for just a minute that he dies here. Does this harm them and does he get his peace and does he kind of like what happens if he dies in this room? Now I'm getting really deep. 
you getting in there. Uh, but I think I see what you're saying. Like, like is this like, would, right, he, would he escape hell if he died? Correct. Here? Correct. And they're trying to keep him there. Right. And um, is that why? And is that why it is being shot from his POV as a method of torture and disorientation? But we know that all of these people are coming together to try to save his life. And, and is that the true horror? Right. Is this a genius moment of the movie? I guess is what I'm trying to postulate here. Um, I, I, regardless of however we interpret it, I do say yes as a genius moment in the movie because there's so much going on here. Uh, well, as we're discovering now, yeah. Right. Um, and to be honest, I hadn't really thought about it from the angle that you are. Like, I see it still very much as a, a matter of his perception, kind of like we were, we were talking about as far as like hell's other people and how he sees the world makes it seem like hell or like heaven, depending on, you know, essentially how you embrace it and how you see it, uh, as this moment of him being such in a, a daze of a fever that, of course, this is a you know horrible moment that I'm sure is wildly uncomfortable and probably straight up painful. But they are saving his life. He just doesn't understand it. That this is like these the, what seem like your torturers are the people literally saving you. Um, right. To me, that's but, but kind that, of. That's, but if you isolate that in this movie, I don't think it. Right. I'm I'm trying to think of how that matters. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like if if you are, let's just say. Again, we don't know the ending of the movie. We're watching this for the first time. We just go, this poor bastard, he's delirious with fever. He feels pain. It's painful to get in an ice bath. It's fucking uncomfortable. We already know he's cold. This is rough, and it sucks for him. And he doesn't realize it because he's delirious, but they're really helping him. Like, it doesn't... Do you know what I'm saying? Like, at this point in the movie, while you're watching it, if you were to pause it here and analyze the scene, you'd just be like, oh, that's kind of what's going on here. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, in other me, words, me, on a rewatch, does it, does your, would it, would it alter your, it, it would, it does, does everything. It's kind of a, a moot point, a moot question. Do you know what I mean? It's very rhetorical, I guess. Is that it? Yeah. You're going to always interpret it differently. If you know the outcome, you know, what's really going on. You know, he's not really here. It's not really a bathtub. It's not, it's, it, it, I mean, it is, and it isn't, it's a, it's a fucking hell realm. <laughs> right. Right. Um, well, yeah, I mean, for me, I still see it as this symbol of the way you see things is not necessarily the way they are. Like for me, that's regardless of whatever it means as far as what their motivations are or anything like that. That's a really to me, deep that's, philosophical position. Yeah, well, I don't know, I guess. <laughs> I mean, that's just how, no, that's I, how no, I, I think f- it is. I think, I mean, if you really want to get philosophical, which we don't have time for, but the way you see things aren't really the way they are. That is, that's intense. <laughs> right? Right. And I mean, to, to me, that's actually the crux of this movie, regardless of what, whatever anything quote unquote actually is kind of doesn't matter. It's, it's the fact that you could, you know, and the same, same thing goes back to Hellraiser in a funny way. I feel like a lot of people would be like Hellraiser comparing to Jacob's ladder. What are you talking about? But like, in Hellraiser, their torture is literally pleasure for some people. Like that, that, that the intensity, the, the eradication of yourself and your body being completely pulled apart and your individuality being just erased and you're just completely, you know, your existence is shattered in some way is a pleasurable escape for some people. And like, so I guess, I guess, the, so I guess what I could say is this then is I could say that the quote from Louis, right? Yeah, this is like you said at the beginning of this weird tirade that we're on is essentially (laughs) just that in a nutshell, right? Right. Like this is like for me the best illustration of that quote in the movie. 
Got it. Um, that's, that's mostly how I take it. But I do, I mean, I think you do make an interesting point, though, of like, if we're supposed to take it a little more literally of like, okay, this is fucking hell. And I mean, like I said, at the top, when he, when he wakes up on the train, you see these, the, the Garden of Eden's apple and the fucking word hell. Like, he, he is in hell. And so if we take it, you know, that way, then shit, these are, these are the citizens of hell trying to keep him there. Um, and that's that's a whole another valid angle to look at it. And, and, and maybe and maybe they're trying to keep them there, not even realizing that they're participating in this. You know, it's almost got this matrix exactly. matrix effect to it, right? Like totally. you don't realize yes. you're in the matrix, but you are serving. And I think and I think this is there's probably uh, many many words in religion about this very thing, and that's and that's you doing the work of the devil without even realizing it, right? Totally. Like they say in yeah. Usual Suspects, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And I think that's kind of you could you could even that's what I'm saying. You like you like you pointed out in the beginning, and that is is becoming very apparent to me. The more we talk, there are many many different layers and ways to consider this stuff. Totally, but yeah. but I'm forced to ask. I'm forced to ask now that I know the movie and, and we're rewatching it, and we have and and we are if we accept the premise that his last moments of life in Vietnam, we're seeing what plays out in his head or, or in hell in this weird, you know, religious take on this movie. And that's, then it forces me to go, okay, then if we're in that realm, what is the purpose of her putting him in the ice and not letting him perish? Is it to keep him there so they can continue to do whatever it is they're trying to do, which is, I don't know, harvest his soul indefinitely in hell, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's I kind actually of fucked do up see it to think of, about it, but yeah, I kind of like right. that. Like that they can't accept the idea of letting him go to peace. They have to pull him back into their chaos and yeah. at, for at any cost. Yeah, that, right. That, that's the devil. The devil is a, is a trickster, right? The devil is a deceiver. Totally. And, and if, if the demons are doing the devil's bidding, bidding then they want to continue to to not allow him to reconcile these things, but to rather embrace all of these other emotions that, that are his playground, so to speak. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty I wild. See that Whoa. Weird. Going deep, bro. <laughs> That's a deep-ass movie, man. Deep. Mm-hmm. But um, he wakes up, after this ice incident, he wakes up and he's with the wifey poo. Dude, this is such a now i don't i'll I'll say i don't remember this scene super well from my first watch me neither but i but i remembered the fact that i couldn't tell who he was with like who he's actually what is the present time that and this movie makes it does a great job of making that very mysterious you're like wait wait where is he in all of this um it makes you feel like you're lost in a dream Mm -hmm. because he he wakes up to seeing his ex-wife and talks about being with Jesse as if it were a nightmare, mm-hmm. a dream. Very cool. Such a mind fuck. And this is just, you know, again, if we if we continue to go on the premise that we believe has been set, this is just kind of a continuation of the of of everything. And this is probably unexpected from this is not what Jesse wants, okay? This is Jesse does not want him going deeper into himself in his in, in these final moments, they don't want him to, to do this. They want, they want him to not, this is reconciliation territory. They don't want this. 
right? right. This is they want bad. him to like live in the illusion of hell, right? Like, Carmelita is saying keeping stand. him there so he can finish processing his regrets as well, mm, right? That's a, yeah, that's an interesting point, right? Because that's the to her point, that's the flip side of the entire fucking movie, which is the Lewis quote, which is demons now, but perhaps angels later. <laughs> right, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, so good stuff. Good spots by Carmelita. It's like she's seen this a bunch of times. It's like she's a big fan of it or something. Yeah, and I've seen it like five or four. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm stumbling my way through this poorly, I might add, trying to come up with things that I think are interesting threads to pull. But it's very thought-provoking. I'm definitely enjoying myself, to make that clear. yeah. Yeah, you're doing real well, baby. Keep it up. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that this but, this is so fucking crazy talking about no it was hell it's hell, like hell living with Jesse. It's hell. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like you cannot look at that woman and be like, "Oh, that's hell." <laughs> well, what? he does say the counter, which is it's it's she's great in bed. That's <laughs> ah, so true. That's so good. He's like, "But she had great thighs." <laughs> she's like, "I thought you said it was a nightmare." Awesome. Ah, but yeah. You know, he's awoken here too. It's important to note that, you know, he was awoken by the open window that was making him cold. Mm-hmm. And that's why he was like, oh, it's freezing cold in here. You, you know, you got to keep that window closed. And she wanted it open. Uh, and that's the moment when their their son, Gabe, uh, sweet Macaulay Culkin himself, comes in the room. Yep. And I got to say, to be honest, man, there's a reason Macaulay Culkin was the biggest kid actor in he's the world great. for a while. He's fucking good. He's really He's good. fucking he's, great. So good in this. Little son yeah. of a bitch. Little son of a bitch. That son of a bitch. I kick him so hard in the face. <laughs> you think you can defeat me with a paint can and a swinging axe? That is bullshit. <laughs> home Alone 4, Jean-Claude Van Damme versus Macaulay. Your puppy's home. He side kicks the door open. <laughs> <laughs> You better get your ass to bed or I'm going to spank you so hard. Oh. Don't make me do the splits over your bed. You see, I watch you all night. Von Dom like runs into a bunch of matchbox cars on a wooden floor and he like slips and stumbles, but he does a split, but it doesn't hurt him. And McCulloch is like, damn it. And he runs upstairs <laughs> and sets up the next trap. <laughs> that John Bronco <laughs> damn just does like a fucking front flip over. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, darn. He's like, I think this will get him. He puts a giant fucking mound of baby powder that John claude thinks is Coke. And he's like, oh, I can take a time out for a little nose bump. And he's, <laughs> he fucking sniffs and he's like, oh, he coughs and falls out the window into the pool. And Macaulay Culkin wins. <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> this movie rules. Can we do this, this movie? movie? Fuck. Home Alone 4 is great. Awesome. Um, yeah, this is a cute moment where you know uh, his son Gabe comes into the room and asks to be tucked back in, and you know he laughs with his wife, walks him back in there, and he, you know you see his other two sons there, this sweet little home again. The harsh contrast to what we've seen so far. Well, look at the, look at so, the choice of color. Totally, I yeah, mean it's, it's so bright, huge. And, the movie is so grim. Oh yeah, oh, it's yeah. not like we said, not quite Alien Three bleak. But this moment, there's there's an, a, a, a a generous blue with some gold flecks, and I mean, <laughs> this blonde kid, right, is a is a contrast against all the other weird colors. He, he's so 
You know, he's just so bright. bright. He's just yeah. He's exactly. a bright it's, it's, boy. Um, the by the way, he was on a, a Joe Rogan podcast recently, like eleven fifty three or something. Oh yeah, yeah. I actually listened to part of that. Oh, did you? I haven't. I haven't downloaded, but I'm curious how he's doing these Dude, days. Dude, Macaulay Culkin. I used to think. So I, I have he had I've a rough go for between, a bit there. Yeah, he. Yeah, he did. And I used to think that he was kind of like ah, he's just kind of a hopeless, washed up weirdo. He's actually pretty damn smart, and I think he's pretty fucking funny. Cool. And I think he's actually kind of on the verge of a comeback. So awesome. I'm like, hey, good awesome. for him, man. That's Kick great ass. news. Go get it. It's sad when you think some fucking little kid whose parents pushed him into some shit so they could make a bunch of money off him. By the Dude. way, total speculation. And um, but uh, but uh, that happens all the time, all the time. Though, with this shit. Yeah, and then the sure. kid never recovers because, like, you know, yeah. they've flown yeah, sixty-five yeah. times by the time they're nine. <laughs> what the fuck, dude? Jesus Christ! <laughs> but no, and also he's fucking hilarious on Twitter. You should follow him on Twitter. He's funny. Cool. But uh, yeah, this but, is yeah, just great. adorable, adorable shit here. It's heart totally heart wrenching. Oh, absolutely. Right. Knowing you already know that this kid is is dead. Right. Um, it's in in the end. Yeah, that's the really crazy part of it. We know the kid's dead. We don't even know his fate yet. No. And I mean, you can kind of, if this is your very first time seeing the movie, if you're, if you're coming into this totally fresh, you could kind of have that moment of, oh, well, is the other stuff been a weird fantasy? And maybe mm. he actually is, the, his present time really is him with his wife, Laura, and, and his sons are all alive and it's actually okay. Uh, but no, <laughs> but no, it is not. Yeah. Yeah. It's That's a good cute. point. Hey, leave the door open, crack it a little more, a little more. I mean, it's fucking adorable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More, uh, nom stuff. And then his eyes flutter and this is rough. This close up of him in the bath. Oh God. Yeah. The zooming out of his eyes. This is like, this is dreams within dream shit. This is inception. Like he's in the hell realm trying to navigate and having dreams in the hell realm. Oh God. Yeah, totally. And I mean, it, he just looks so broken in this oh. moment, this scene here. I mean, like he can barely get by. This is, point. this is your doctor. Ugh. Oh, is this the doctor right here? Yeah, that's him. Dude, that does not even, I still, when I look at him, I'm like, that's not Lewis Black. Yeah, man. You can see like, it. Fuck, it is. Yeah, you can see it. You mu- God, okay. God, that's so crazy. Crazy, dude. Damn. That's nuts. I didn't know that either. Did not catch that at all. Yeah. Weird. But yeah, he's like, oh, you must have friends in high places. Mm. God, his look of just utter, oh, man, it's just brutal. Right. That, right. Like, that face is the movie. For sure. For sure. It's I the whole movie, there. that face. And I mean, and especially to think about him, where he is in this moment, he's literally laying on his back like a fucking horse I know. and he's just staring up, you know, and we got to remember there, there's essentially three things going on here. There's him in the midst of essentially reliving, well, in truth, being in Vietnam mm-hmm. and dying. Mm-hmm. And then his life with this almost like imaginary or slash hell world life with Jesse and then his prior life with Laura and his sons. And they're all just like, interwoven and stacking and overlapping on top of each other. And it's gotta be just such a, a emotional, confusing fucking nightmare. Mm. And that's, that's the look in his eyes there of like, I don't understand what's happening. God. So creepy. So Ugh. creepy. And, and you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm kind of reevaluating the way I'm talking about this movie because for some reason, I don't know why I'm not being more clear about this, but this is, it is, um, it's, it is, Death, I, you know what I think? I almost feel like the the dying is the hell 
in the death is the heaven because of the way they time the, the clips of him getting stabbed, going down, crawling, being found. These are little check-ins on his death process, right? Right. And yeah. now we're seeing him being uh, medevaced out of there, right? So now he's getting closer yeah. to his final destination of death. He's in the dying process and this is happening to him in that process versus he's dead and it's all happening. In, 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 right. Under, do you see what I'm saying? Yes, yeah. You know, and that's a really good point, dude. That's actually a really good tell and a clue for a first-time viewer. The fact that all of his Vietnam images happened absolutely in chronological order. Right. We we start with him returning from taking a piss and then everything going bad. And then the next time we see it, it's him, you know, being stabbed. Next time we see it, it's him being found. Next time we see it, it's him being medevaced. Next time we see it, it's, you know, him having surgery being done. It's like, that's all happening chronologically. And everything else is kind of muddled. It is. But is it? I think it's. I. I think. I. You know. I don't know. I think it might be. In. 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 I'm not saying you're wrong and I'm right. And I'm. I'm saying let's talk about it. And that's. Isn't it? Isn't linearness almost irrelevant if you're going through this sort of hell realm? Like him thinking about his wife is just that. It's just simply a memory, right? It's. And and he didn't. I doubt he ever had a conversation with his wife where he was like, oh, in other words, the moment we saw with his wife and Macaulay Culkin, I don't think it was a memory, so to speak. Do you think it was? Do you think he had a dream one day about Jezebel? He lived with Jezebel? No. I, you know, to be honest, I had that thought. I was really? Like, I wonder if he did have a dream at one point in his life, you know, if he actually did, if that's how he knows Jezebel, in, let's say, quote unquote, real life, his life with Laura and everything. Um, if that's how he knew her was working at the post office. No. Maybe he did have some weird dream. Actually, no. You know what? Actually, that wouldn't work. No, because- I don't think that works. Because I think it's part of the process of him trying to come to grips oh with these things. Dude, I just I just had another, I don't know, maybe I'm dumb, but maybe I just had like another fucking epiphany about it of, we got to remember, he never came home from Vietnam. Correct. He died. So I don't think he was ever a postman. I don't think he fucking did any of that shit. All of his experiences with Laura and his and his right, kids right. are prior to fucking to fucking Vietnam. He, he may have been a, a postman prior to Vietnam, but but I think uh, everything we're seeing is something. Everything we're seeing, in my opinion, is his odyssey, his his Greek odyssey, so to speak, which is oh, his yeah. journey through whatever, being confronted with the myriad deceptions and the trickery and the deception that he has to sort of kind of navigate before they tell but b- before these these uh, uh medics say he's he's gone he needs to win so to speak <laughs> i know that makes it sound so pedantic but that's <laughs> what needs to happen by the time he dies to ensure he goes to the right place and he's and this is his battle all the way through yeah no that i definitely agree with yeah yeah and that's why i don't think that's why I like the linear, when people talk about the linear versus nonlinear or, or is this chronological? I mean, basically, because we're just seeing a ever forward momentum to the reconciliation that he has to go up Jacob's ladder to heaven. Even though we're not exactly. seeing a full life, it doesn't, we're not, in other words, we're not just going, oh, while he's looking at this book, did that happen before the party? No, it happened after. Yeah, Everything's right, happening in right. order, that I guess irrelevant. is my point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think we're seeing memory at all here. I think we're seeing, 
I think we're seeing just a lot of struggle within his own mind. Yeah. Yeah. And and like almost invention and projection of of what he wants or is afraid of. Yeah, he's like like Ayala says, you, a lot of times one of the things we say when we discuss our own past is we say things like I'm battling with the demons of my past. And sometimes right. that demon might have the face of your ex-wife even though she isn't a literal demon. It is a demon that you have to reconcile and thus turn into an angel, right? It could be very metaphorical in a sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I dig it. Yeah, man. I can dig it. So like, call it like three million points now. <sighs> yeah, you win. You win, Dean. Are you happy? <laughs> I'm just being let me, get your, let me get your milk bone. Hold I on, definitely don't it. because I've made so many, so many bad observations that... I have to level out with a couple of good ones. I mean, hey, we're about, we're a couple of dick joke philosophers over here scrambling around, trying to not slip in our own poop and make some good points. It's hard for us, okay? Be patient. Can I just say something? I'm going to abandon yeah. the... What was the name of the podcast that you came up with for me? <laughs> the Problem With Everything. The Problem With Everything. I think I'm going <laughs> to abandon and I'm going to make a new one called Dick Joke Philosophy. <laughs> Do you think well, iTunes actually, will accept I'm, it and put it in the directory? I'm down. I don't think they're going to accept it. I mean, hey, I they think put they Comptown re- in the fucking directory. Hell yes, so I, they did. I think we're good. Ah, God bless. <laughs> God bless Nick Mullen. <laughs> <laughs> they put C-U-M Comptown in the fucking odd with, podcast with a, directory. With a, so I feel like it's all up for grabs With a black now, album cover and just dripping cum everywhere, like cartoonish cum. It's amazing. <laughs> it's I love so those ridiculous. fucking guys. They rule. <laughs> so fucking <funny. laughs> It's so ridiculous. <laughs> Anyway, um, oh, shit. so now um, he he is. I mean, he's hurting now. What? How rough is it to go to bed having wished your child good night and waking up in Jezebel's apartment and knowing that oh, that dude. that they're all gone and that kid's dead again? It's like reliving oh, it again. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's a whole hell in and of itself. Brutal. Fucking terrible. <sighs> yeah. um, and and Jez just kind of lets him have a moment to himself to just fucking feel it and cry. Yeah, man. And dude, then and how bad <laughs> how bad do you feel if you're I mean, obviously we know that this isn't real, but um how bad do you feel if it's like ugh if you're her and you're like, oh he's crying at me. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> this is sad, man, so bored. You know? You're like, I just want to go dance. Why are you crying? fuck man she's like I did not get on a raft to come here (laughs) to have tall white men cry at me Uh, is that it is that the only way all of them leave Cuba Dean that's what I'm saying dudes I'm not highlighting the irony of how dumb a statement like that would be (laughs) well bravo Bravo, sir. Well done. The problem Off with iTunes. everything was that. <laughs> I just want to tell you that two of my favorite people on the planet are of Cuban descent. Do you know who they are? See, there. Oh, I absolutely yeah. know who they are. Are you going to name them? Hell no. They, you kidding? You can't that is a utter guarded their names. secret. That is a guarded secret for members only. It's who not, am I it's kidding? It's Damaris and Maria. It's not guarded at all. <laughs> <laughs> No, but non-members just don't know the extent of their powers. Yeah, it's true. And their dark magics. That's also true. <laughs> um, but yeah, and she's being sweet. 
You know, yeah. you have a virus. That's what they. That's what the doctors always say when they don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. So you just lie there, okay? Right. She lets him have it. She lets him have this, you know, time to himself. Have a little cry. Have a little, a little boohoo. Mm-hmm. And then in the next scene, <laughs> dude, <laughs> she is anybody like, in there? This is the problem with the Dungeons and Dragons books, right here. Yeah, it lets Satan into your home. That's right. That's it. Guides mm-hmm. him right in. Mm-hmm. Gives him a big old skeleton key to all your children's souls. Yep. Those Bible drawings, they have some strong muscular asses on those men. Dude, real real rumps love, on them. Dude, they love giving them solid thighs and glutes. Baby. I mean. They, they give them real I mean, rippled. Deadlifting lo- dead wasn't in vogue back then, but I guess. Might have been a trap yes. bar laying around that they could have done a couple of reps with. <laughs> a couple of fucking shrugs. Oh, <laughs> uh, shit. Um, a lot of awesome imagery here. Oh, man. Which is... Shots of Jesse being broken up by the mirror. Yes, dude. I love that shot. Like, there are so many good uses of visual storytelling here. Of the 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 Jesse we got in the scene prior to this was a tight close up. You know, from like almost like collarbone up on her face, and and very warm, and she's very close, and she's close to him, and she's caressing him, and it's very sweet. Next scene, again, hard cut, straight to next scene. We don't really get any close-ups on her. They're kind of all medium shots, and she's a lot of times broken up by this mirror and refracted into like two or three images of herself, and she's a little more hostile. And then when we get the next close-up on her, it is an extreme close-up on her face as she turns into a fucking demon with full black eyes. Terrifying. And the other major thing about this scene and this moment that struck me, that is such a big shocking monumental image to just come out of nowhere. And I feel like a lot of other movies would treat that as the ending of a scene or the beginning of one. And in this, it's just a moment. It just happens and it's gone. And then he gets a phone call from another character that leads us into a whole nother avenue of the story. And it just, it kind of just passes by and you're like, holy shit, what just happened? Like, did she just turn into a demon? Pretty wild. You know, you know, there is a movie that does it just like this movie. Do you know what it is? No. It is, goddamn, my memory's not serving. It's one of the Rings films with, with Bilbo reacting to the ring. Oh, oh, Fellowship. Fellowship, yeah. Yeah. He wants the ring oh, back. Yeah, that's <laughs> a, yeah, and then it passes, it. and they're like, whoa. Yeah, and you're like, Jesus. <laughs> that thing certainly has some effects. <laughs> <laughs> hey, freaking shoves her. Who are you? <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you, pendejo. <laughs> and um, she's like, you can rot. I'm going out and I'm going to go fucking werewolf fuck dance that guy again. <laughs> I'm about to say, I'm going to go fucking ride a raw dog pole like it's <laughs> never been ridden. I am done with this boring ass. I'm going out to get punctured by a tail up through my body out of my mouth. I'll see There's you in, nothing. I'll there see is you nothing like the two <laughs> hours. Orgasm. That's dos hombre. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, but he's gonna go see uh, this shaky eyed guy because he gives him a call. Uh, this guy has a yeah. great performance right here. This oh, is heartbreaking, to be perfectly frank. Really, I need to see you. Oh, I'm in, I'm in kind of laid up. Can I say I need to see you? Mm. And he's like, Oh, okay, like uh, sure, because you know this is his buddy from Vietnam. hadn't t- He hasn't even spoken to him, and he says like, what, five, six years? Mm-hmm. And then he goes off to this to this bar to meet him. And dude, 
he is a broken man. <laughs> broken fucking man. And also, dude, the setup for this scene is another as when we enter the bar, you just about don't see anyone's face. They're all mm-hmm. shadowy, darkened figures in the background. Nobody, you know, it's hard to like really make out the features of anyone. It's just yeah. uh, Jake and Paul. Everybody else is untrustworthy. Everybody else is a fucking who knows what. Mm. And that's what Jake even talked, I mean, that's uh, what Paul talks about even here. He's like, they're after me. You know, I don't know what they are, but they're trying to get me and I'm scared and I can't trust anyone. I'm going to hell. Oh, dude. <laughs> That is heavy shit to open with. Uh, this is a perfectly uh, time scene. Talk. I'm going to hell. Yeah, this is a perfectly time scene in the screenplay, as far as I'm concerned, because of the way this guy Paul reacts in a way that we know our main character would if it was him making the call and him coming to see him. Right. In other words, we have we we've seen it. So we can really appreciate where Paul's coming from and we can really wrap our heads around his fear here because that's, if he's experiencing dude, the really same thing as this guy, it's almost the perfect moment in the movie to go, oof, we know, man. So as our POV is on our main character and we're kind of following him, we're shooting it over his shoulder, we're kind of looking at him, we go, oh man, yeah, we get it, Paul. That's rough. And that's totally. why dude, he that's- so empathetic to him. Exactly. That's a that's a excellent point, man. Like, you know, I, I feel like it's uh, there at times. It's almost hackneyed to try and get too far. Like, let's put you in our character. Right. Sometimes that doesn't really work. But there are times where us having the same, you know, at least level of knowledge as a character, and and not not more, not less. Like the same level of knowledge is is really crucial and really well done. And I think you're right. Like when we come in here and he starts to describe the things he's seeing. We don't get, we, and it's also so good. I could see a, a shittier director uh, doing that thing where as he's describing it, we cut back to images of times that Jacob has seen these things to reiterate. Remember, he saw the demons too. You're, mm. you're a dumb audience member. You don't fucking remember. I got to show it to you again. Right. And I hate that shit. Like it is so much better storytelling to just let Paul describe it and let us piece it together in our mind like oh shit you're seeing the same things that jake is seeing we know it because we've already seen it and we can see it you know start to wear on jake's face like oh fuck i'm not alone yeah this this is happening this is not just me that's it's so good it's really good and this is where uh, what's his name's kind of lurking around too in this bar scene um, I forget the character's name, but it's the chemist, not the, the the chemist guy, chemist guy, right? Oh, that's right. Yeah, and um, he's following him around. What's that? Because he's been following him around. Yeah, he's been following him around. But but yeah, this is heartbreaking stuff from Paul. You you feel terrible for him, and and um, we kind of wrap the scene up, and we see some guys boxing, and then we're going to get out here to where this car is about to blow up, and Paul's about to get killed. Um, <laughs> So let's talk about the uh, the car blowing up when they go outside here. Because, um, goddamn, God, this is wild. Uh, this it is really cool. Is. I, I like the, the quarter on the street. Oh, my lucky day. They they share a smile and then boom. Not, and, dude, not even just that. Like, he sees the quarter. He stops and goes, oh, my lucky day. And Paul kind of smiles at him. You know, he smiles back. He leans down to pick it up. And the quarter just goes whoosh, and just magically gets pulled That's away right. out of his reach. Not your lucky day. And he looks up at Paul. Paul looks up at him. Like, both of their smiles kind of just evaporate. And then it fucking explodes. Mm -hmm. Like, they each knew for that second. Like, it's 
done. <laughs> we cut to the helicopter, chaos in the helicopter. Dude, fucking horrible war fucking chaos. God, brutal. brutal. Brutal, brutal. Pilot gets fucking shot and he's wiping his blood off the windshield. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> movie. And this is where um, our guy comes in and, and, and pulls uh, Jacob out of there. Yeah, pulls him away from the car. Yeah. And then we get a little, you know, impromptu uh, reunion of mm. the surviving members of the platoon. Indeed. With, you know, which for one was a shock to me because I was like, oh, Ving Rhames fucking dead. Like the last time we saw him, he fell down like head first on the floor and was just vibrating, having a crazy ass seizure. I'm like, oh, so he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> That's, he's goner. Like I was shocked to see him alive. Yeah. That's cool. another strange, surreal element here where I'm like, I think some of those guys also died and he's seeing them here. I like it. Um, his name is Michael. Michael. Yep. Played by Matt Craven. He's been in a bunch of shit, this guy. Oh, the guy who pulls him away from the car? Yeah, that's Michael. Gotcha. Okay. Michael. Michael. <laughs> <laughs> but we, uh, we cut to a, a rainy funeral, of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then to kind of get to this conversation between, you know, all of the guys, all the yeah. ex-soldiers. And that's where, you know, Jake starts talking to them about, he was telling me about demons. Yep. Seeing demons, trying to get me. He was scared. And, you know, and then, of course, so the big tell, you know, like Ving, Ving Rhames' character is still having the shakes. And when he hears about the demons, the first thing he asks, what did he say they mm. looked like? I'm like, dude. Yikes. More people seeing shit. Yeah. More of your own guys. Yep. Um. This guy's name, by the way, the skeptical guy is Brian Tarantina. So close. <laughs> so close. Close. Close to being on that gravy train. <laughs> this guy's been in a bunch of shit too, though. Again, so funny. Mostly TV as of late. <laughs> well, we cut to you know the 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 Beatles with their final rooftop performance, uh, <laughs> you know, the Abbey Road album, classic, and discussing the demons that are haunting them. <laughs> My buddy Tom had an apartment in Florida where he had a roof access like this with like lawn chairs on it and shit. It was awesome. Dude, that is another one of those movie things I'm so jealous for. Yeah. I'm like, I want that. Yeah. I want to live. With, I want that. No basements in Florida. Roof. You go on the roof. See, there you go. <laughs> That's what I want. Damn. I want that. I won't buy it. But I- it's like, wow, this is fucking crazy. This is nuts over This ain't happening. <laughs> what makes you think the army's going to give you answers, you fucking moron? Does he not look like the perfect candidate to be in a Friday the 13th picture humping some girl in a fucking sleeping bag? <laughs> I was thinking more of Tony Soprano's other nephew. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe. But he just has <laughs> such that 80s feathered hair, I'm um, humping oh, a so, sleepaway yeah. camp girl look to him. <laughs> <laughs> I got me this hot broad, man. I'm going to finally cash in my V card. Hey, man, what are you doing? That's what he says when Jason's like walking at him with a machete. <laughs> hey, man, no, what <laughs> exactly. are you doing? Whoa, bro, calm down. He goes for a hockey stick and can't really fight Jason off. And Jason chops him in half. Basically, exactly. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, that worked out great. Kid brings up a hockey stick like he's Casey fucking, what's the guy's name? Casey Jones? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shit. And yeah. Just, and then, then Dean proceeds to slaughter the entire uh, party of all the camp members and wins the game. Yep. Oh, yeah, I did do that That's once. Do. No, because one guy That's got true. away. 
Oh, that's true. Because he, he had that off. fucking stupid break in the game. Fuck that asshole. Like, so dumb. So dumb. We got to play that game again. That's fucking Yeah, it's, it's really good. <laughs> fucking so silly. Um, and then the other guy, like the rat looking guy. He's like the rat man. Rat man. Oh, yeah. A little ratty faced guy. Yeah, is that Rod? <laughs> I don't know, but that sounds appropriate. Sounds like a that Rod, should doesn't be his it? Name, if it's not, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but no, they all you know, are discussing up here. They're, the one you know guy among them is skeptical, but the rest, even if they're not saying that much, they're all kind of like, yeah, we've yeah. been seeing things and having problems, and our hands are still fucking shaking. Yeah, we're all we're all kind of fucked up. Yeah. So um, let's go to see. Let's go see uh, Costanza. Yep. <laughs> uh, serenity <laughs> now. All these veterans coming in. <laughs> He's probably he probably wishes he had his Costanza desk right now. He could crawl under. <laughs> Should be gone. <laughs> oh, fuck. Tape coming on my ass. He's such a New Yorker. Such a New Yorker. It's the federal government command. For Christ's sakes. Hey, yo, ah, oh, bing, bang, boom. George Costanza. <laughs> you think just a couple of jabronis going to go take on the government? Come on. <laughs> Every time he Forget opens his it. mouth, New Yorkers just fly out of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, like he's just so... Yankees hat wearing fucking hairy shouldered flipping off everybody <laughs> bunch of fucking New Yorkers come pouring out <laughs> so true <laughs> um, but he says they, they, they badger him into going at least having him have a look at it right right so he's like okay I'll look into it I'll just start doing some research yeah because we think they experimented you know, on us and shit man Right, right. You know that's their uh, their claim here. It's like yeah. we think we've all been the victims of experimentation. You know, and, and you know, the thing that's unsaid in this movie is it's all kind of parallel to the Agent Orange idea yep. that there yep. is. You know, and the Agent Orange well, LSD, was not LSD like, was also more conspiratorial, but it was out right. there. It was out there. Totally. But, you know, just the idea that, you know, Agent Orange not being a, a drug that was used, but just something that was to, to kill plant life and just used irresponsibly that ended up poisoning a lot of soldiers. Cancer. Uh, the, you cancer, know, cancer. Yeah. Gave you cancer while they were just trying to clear brush. Brutal. It's pretty awful. And then um, uh, Jezebel is reminding us how hot she is by being bent over the desk in her fucking business attire. <sighs> Uh, I I kind of just want to stay in the hell realm. Uh, I just want to ruin that. (laughs) I just want to ruin that outfit. (laughs) (laughs) You know? I mean, goddamn. Yeah. Uh, She's so hot. Anyways, but yeah, she's, you know, tell this is, this is bad news. Right. He's not taking your case. The lawyer Mm. called while you're in the shower. He said you didn't have one. You know, and she's back to being supportive. You know, she she attended the funeral with him. She, you know, this is after she said, "Fuck off, I'm done, I'm out of here." He'd shoved her, and I'm tired of this. Two weeks, you you, know, you rot in here by yourself if that's what you want to do. But she's back. Mm-hmm. You know, she and that that's what's also so confusing and overlapping about all this because I do think at the end of the day she is someone. I, I think you said it well earlier of like. Maybe she is, you know, in a sense, an agent of hell that is also pulling him down, but she's not even fully aware of it. It's not like that's in her mind of like, I want to corrupt and destroy him and I hate him. No, like she cares about him. She's also uh, oblivious and unaware that that she's a part of this in a way, that she's a part of this. Forgive them for they know not what they do. (laughs) Jesus wept. Uh, but he calls Frank. Dude, dude, how great 
is the shot of Frank picking up the phone. Yeah, slowly. Slowly, and remember, like the 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 even at the funeral, we really only see uh, Jake and and Jesse, you know, walking you know to, from the grave, and you kind of see the crowd. It's a long shot of the crowd, but it's a close up on uh, uh, Jake and Jesse, and then we get the scene of of Jake talking to all of his you know uh, military buddies, and we see all their faces very clearly. Nobody else. We don't really see anybody else's faces at the funeral. Nobody else is focused on. They're in the background or they're obscured. And all of his military buddies' faces are bright and clear, and they're people he knows and they're friends. Now that they've changed their minds, they're obscured in shadow again. Mm-hmm. Like Frank, when he picks up the phone, is alone. He's he's just a silhouetted, you know, black figure. Like you don't see his features for a while. It's just him talking into the phone. He's like, it's like he's sunken into darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it's so good, dude. It's so creepy. It, it's like it's corrupting everyone he even knows who was on his side. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Yeah, but this is this is sad shit because you know he he calls Frank to be like, "Hey, I just missed a call from our lawyer saying he's not going to take our case. What's up with that?" He says, "You guys backed out." And he's like, "Yeah, we did." And he really gives no reason as to why. He's just like, "Well, you know, it's war, man. War's bad." Yeah. That's it. That's War's it. war. Things happen. That's it. And Jake's just like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> like, that doesn't allow our government to poison us. Yeah. And it makes sense, though, because, like, this journey is his own kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, and that, to me, again, that's part of the whole, the aspect of the the LSD or the, the psychoactive drug thing being interesting for me is that Jake is seeking the truth. Jake wants to understand what happened, what happened, um, Whereas the rest of his, you know, men are, you know, I think that's part of their journey is that they're still not ready to face it. They're scared of it. Mm-hmm. They're like they're pulling away. They're staying in hell in a sense. And for Jake, part of I think him pushing through is pursuing this avenue of being like, what happened to me? What what made this happen? I want to understand my death, and then maybe I can accept it. Yeah, there's this really brief moment in this movie that's um, I want to talk about a little bit, and that's this this stuff here. Right after he hangs up, right after Frank hangs up with Jake, we get a shot of Frank, Rod, and what's the guy's name? George. Yeah. And they're all sitting in there. We there is no other time in this movie that I can think of right this minute where it doesn't involve Tim Roth in the actual shot or, or in the room nearby. This is a total POV shift. Weird, huh? Hmm. That's a good point. It's weird it's because really this is Tim point. Roth's journey, right? Tim or Roth. Tim Robbins. Jesus Tim Christ. Um, <laughs> I'm fucking dying here. <laughs> motherfucker. I'm, I'm trying to the watch the Lost Boys. <laughs> I'm in hell. I'm fucking dying. <laughs> You're not going to burn in hell. Say the freaking words. <laughs> You're going to see Macaulay Culkin. It's all going to be okay. You're going to hump a Cuban broad. It's going to be okay. <laughs> it's going to make hell worth it. <laughs> shit yeah it's basically the way no yeah no that's a good point because the only other time that i could think of that even comes close to that is when we have those shots of uh jesse running out to the neighbors when she's getting ice like it's kind of just her but at the same time i think we even see that we see it from the point of view of the open door of their apartment so it's almost like he could see he's there he's involved with Mm -hmm. yeah it's a scene relating to him that right. he is and it, like like there's a proximity to it, 
and again, too, when, when the camera does kind of pan over and you see the other guys are all there with Frank, they are, again, all obscured mm. in shadow. It's a dark room. Like, and, and Jake's standing there kind of in the light. Like, it, there's something – there's a whole light and dark motif in this movie going on of like when people are kind of facing the truth, they're in the light. And when they're kind of pulling back or scared, they're or, – or if they're just anonymous – unknowable people who might be demons or not. They're just like in the shadows. Yep. And uh, he tries to push Costanza, but Costanza lays it down and he says, you were discharged on psychological grounds after war games in Thailand. Ooh. Jesus. That's, that's Jesus. a mind fucker for the, that's a mind fuck for the, for the audience. Cause at this point we're like, wow, he's really fucked up. He's seeing shit. Right. He's hallucinating. So it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And it makes you it makes you start to sit there and question. You're like, well, was the combat that was even happening at the beginning was that even right real? Like, was it was it just them all spazzing out and hallucinating? Maybe, but the chiropractic scenes does show the abdomen scar. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Right. No, I mean, it's like, like, there's no doubt about like the fact that he got injured uh, or attacked, but that, like the combat, you know, from Viet Cong, like, did that happen at all? Like. You know, at this point in the movie, you're going, well, fuck, were they ever even attacked then? Like, that doesn't make any sense if they were in Thailand. Right. Yeah. Well, we see, yeah, I don't even know if we, did we ever even see in, uh, VC? No. No, you don't. Yeah. Hmm. Like, when he, gets, when he gets bayoneted, you just see the gun. Yeah. And the bayonet slipping yeah. in and out of him. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, but he gets picked up by a couple of crooked-nosed dudes. <laughs> Couple of crooked nosed New Yorkers, and uh, you know he says, "Listen, gonna, uh, what an appropriate name for a man who can keep his mouth shut, Mister Singer. That's cute. That's yeah, a mafia that's a joke cute. for sure. <laughs> for sure. I knock him dead down at the fucking bakery with this one. Bada bing bang boom. Oh, hey, Mister Canary, I I can trust your ass. Hey." <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. Frightening people with foolish talk about the army and experiments. You're in over your head, Mr. Mm. Singer. Men drown that way. That's right. Also, this the driver driving like a fucking lunatic. Mm-hmm. What is wrong with you? Everything. <laughs> Everything. Mm-hmm. And also, it's one of the only, it's one of the really only, maybe the single uh, it, like continuity error I see in this movie that I think is funny. When it's interior shots of the car of you know of jacob and these two guys talking the background is passing by so slow oh yeah <laughs> and when you get to the outside it's like and it's like going like 80 miles an hour but on the inside it's like dude they're doing like 20 <laughs> but i'm like ah whatever i accept it this movie's great yeah man dude also hey good on jacob for just straight elbowing these dudes in the fucking oh nose yeah and he's, face he's and kicking he's, them in the head he's big and rangy Oh, hell yeah, dude. He's a Vietnam veteran. Take care of himself. Fuck Fucking these assholes. stomp kicking people in the face with his converse. <laughs> <laughs> dude, this scene is so intense. They fucking hold him out the door of the car, and it yeah. starts, the car door starts banging against fucking parallel parked cars. Yikes. He's kicking the driver in the head. Hey, Aish. can we talk about Santa Claus? Dude, hey, fuck Santa Claus. Guess who's Claus. getting their ass whooped as soon as I'm out of the hospital? Oh, that guy. 100%. Oh, oh the God. second I'm out, I'm headed straight to that quarter of the baseball bat. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get that wallet back, bud. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking happening. And you know what? I'm taking the fucking donations, too. What do you think of that? 
I'm taking them. <laughs> you know what? Fucking Timmy doesn't need a Twinkie. I'm taking it on principle. Here's my inconvenience fee, you fuck. It's tax. <laughs> the dude's like fucking spitting his teeth all over the ground. <laughs> take the whole bucket. <laughs> I'm not even going to empty. I'm just going to take the bucket. And now, and now this $7.43 is mine. He fucking dumps <laughs> out the change into his pocket. <laughs> Dude, it's New York City. What are you talking about? There would be like 65 cents in there, tops. <laughs> mm, shit. Yeah, especially that fucking that guy's skimming off the top. Oh, for sure. This guy who robs people <laughs> as his part-time Santa Claus fucking Wait a minute. Salvation Army Wait a shit. minute. He doesn't just rob people. He robs people that go flying down the street after a horrible auto accident. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so awful. <laughs> what a piece of shit. Oh, you poor man. As he reaches down and checks his pockets. And I mean, that is just wallet. a fucking play on. That is... That is just a, look, this is New York. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to get fucked. This is going to happen. Sorry. Crime is not as bad as it is there at all anymore. Like it once oh, was. for sure. Yeah. No, yeah. 1970s New York, that was Oof. a fucking beast. That was death wish um, time. Seriously. <laughs> uh, but no, you know, another interesting thing about the scene that it just got me thinking about talking about it um, is I think it's actually a very important moment that he has the one picture he has of his son taken away from him because he's kind of having he's being forced to let it go of like why are you holding on to this one little picture like it's time to just let it go yeah it's and, funny and- if we remind ourselves to always think that way you could argue that the santa claus figure is doing him a favor in a way yeah in yeah. a weird dark <laughs> strange way <laughs> god damn dude <laughs> this movie baby this this is the the ride of terror. Oh my god, man! Come, hey, by the way, completely forgot this fuck. The only thing I remembered about this scene once they enter the actual like I don't even know what you'd call it operating theater or whatever. Uh, when the doctors come out, that, that doctor with no fucking eyes. Oh, I remember that <sighs> shit real well. Remember that very very well. The- but the the fact that he's on a gurney and it's like a normal hospital and it slowly turns into a nightmare, I had completely forgotten. Yeah. Fucking freaky. Dude, Ugh. the this doctor, okay, with the with the hair, the handsome doctor, yeah. there's oh, yeah. no he's way this away. doctor wasn't a vampire in like a film in like 89, 90, 91, where he's like biting girls on the neck while their tits are out. Oh, for sure. Looks exactly like one of those kind of characters, doesn't he? Definitely. Oh, yeah. A 90s vampire sex romp movie. He really does. He looks exactly like that. He (laughs) wicked does. He also looks like Christopher Moltisante from The Sopranos could be his son or younger brother. (laughs) (laughs) Chris Imperioli. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Goddamn. Well, it's all so nice at first. Yeah, it's it's very normal. It's nice, um, but I like the way that the, the the once they get him into the room and they're starting to like you know take off his shoes, you know get things ready. They're like strapping his arms up. I think giving him an IV. Yep. The camera shots are incredibly, extremely tight close ups. Mm-hmm. They just cut to like his ankle, cut to his arm, cut to this. They're like very disembodied. They're they're not. It makes it makes what they're doing to him very impersonal like you don't see the doctors in their hands and them doing things it just it looks like things are just happening to him 
Um, and that, that I like too. Like that's already kind of one of the first moments of this is, this feels strange and hostile in some way. I like it. Um, but it gets real hostile in a minute. Oh God, does it? <laughs> or like, dude, it's crazy too, where he, he's talking the whole time about like, I need Louie, I need my chiropractor, he's my doctor, call Louie. And they're kind of just, okay, yeah, we're doing everything we can, blah, 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 like whatever, kind of ignoring it. Cause they're, they're like, like okay. you mean you mean we need to call your chiropractor right now? Bro, dude, you're in the <laughs> ER and we are like, you know, real doctors. Sure you not fucking Sorry. shatter your spine. Did yeah. I just say that out loud? <laughs> Uh, Some listeners are going to be like, my wife studied for like in 20 years. She's wonderful. Her patients are very happy. Great. Then what the fuck do you care what I say? I'm just joking. Right? Relax. And also, hey, I went to a chiropractor for like 15 years and I loved it and he was great and it definitely helped. Uh, And also, I think he said a lot of weird quack shit. So at the same time, hey. I went went one time and then I never went again. Uh, What did you, did you not like that Arnold Schwarzenegger neck snap shit? Yeah, I, I'm not scares good at a lot that. Of people away. And, then, and then I was like, I don't know about all this, but me <laughs> <laughs> with my shit back, I love it. I love it, dude. <clears throat> I love having my back crack. You can what, hit what do you mean you were a chiropractor? My... How old are you? Where'd you go when you were no, twenty two? No, I haven't been oh, to. Were well, you one of those back brace kids? Oh no, no, not that bad. Jesus, no, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't been to one in probably eight years now, if not more. Okay, it's been a while, but I was going for a long time. I believe it. Guys, younger. But man, this hellscape is brutal, <clears throat> mm, dude. Yeah, and, and it starts out with, "All right, well, we need to go ahead and get some X-rays. Take him down to the X-ray room, <laughs> and then you start seeing severed body parts and organs on the floor, <laughs> and crazy people staring at you from the grate in the ceiling. What the fuck? This is like Canada healthcare, right? <laughs> it's free though, so." <laughs> Hey, how dare you, sir? This is at best Cuban healthcare, okay? <laughs> how dare you? Hey, man. <laughs> just saying. But also, you, you know what? I just realized we haven't talked about one single time this entire podcast. The fucking music in this movie. Ah, yeah. The music is outstanding. Yep. You know, And you know what my single favorite aspect of the music in this movie is? That it's not always <clears throat> used. There are plenty of moments, and actually coming up in the scene even, that are silent. It is just the ambient sounds of of the scenery, and I think it works very well. But, like, the music here, the the rising, the voices, the, uh, the, like, satanic chorus sound Mm. of it all is so fucking creepy. He's he's great. He he passed away in 2009. Uh, Maurice Yare. He's French, so however you say J-A-R-E in French. Damn. But um, yeah, he fucking. That's rough. He did Lawrence of Arabia, so no big uh, deal. Uh, holy shit! Yeah. Damn, yeah. that's a pedigree. Uh, he also did fucking Witness. You and I just watched that shit together oh, as friends, fuck. as as buddies and lovers. What a great! What a you know? Dude. Can I just say something? Yeah, that was amazing. That's a fucking great movie, man. That was amazing. I was hang on, watch with you that day. I just want to say, hell that. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And when your plane got canceled and you came back and we were like, it was like we got another day together. It was beautiful. <laughs> and we watched Cyborg. <laughs> it was truly a walk to remember. <laughs> also, Ghost. He composed... Hey, oh, he did music for Ghost? He did, because what's his name also... Um, uh, uh, that was... This came out the same year. Oh, okay. Dude, I actually really like that movie a lot. That's a good movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. 
It's really, right. it's really nice. Great. It's really um it's really beautiful. I, I see which <laughs> I get it. If I can't enjoy a short haired demi more, then just just I have nothing to live for, Dean. <laughs> Can I not enjoy that? Can I not enjoy a big muscly Patrick Swayze caressing a short haired demi more? Can I not just have that? Yeah, I wouldn't call him Patrick Swayze big and muscular. He's more like small and ripped. Yeah, <laughs> tawny. <laughs> he's he's uh, yeah yeah. You'd call him scraggly, kind of. I, I don't know what you'd call him. But we're way off the path here. Let's get back to this wildly movie. off the path. Yeah. So yeah, he is hauled down into the real just pit of fucking hell here. This like civil war hospital with just piles of severed arms. You know, it's I'm Jesus. glad I'm glad that Peter Dinklage made a mark in 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 Hollywood because apparently prior to uh, to this, um, little people were <laughs> relegated to being scary monsters. That were in. T- <laughs> Hell hospitals. You know what it is? They you know, used to scare people to death. You know what happened too? You know that guy who's <laughs> the little person who's on the grate, who's fucking, you know, chasing after him and looking and, down at him? And it's scary he, the way he's doing it. He's it being scary. He went to his agent and was like, <laughs> So are they making a sequel to uh, Wizard of Oz yet? And they're like, no, no, that's still not happening. Oh, well, is there any other parts? Yeah, there's one. <laughs> he got one. It's in a movie of Tim Robbins. It's a pretty big, high-profile movie. Love what it. we need you to do is just take off your shirt and definitely your shoes, and, and you're going to be on this metal grade above him, and just move around normally, and it will terrify <laughs> All of the moviegoers. Move around like you people do, you know, creepily. Because I got to be honest with you, I don't see a Willow sequel on the horizon. So get to work. Oh, shit. You know, Ron Howard, he's uh, he's on to bigger and better things, okay? (laughs) And then then they made fun of the black ones and then the Cuban (laughs) ones. And then they made fun of the little ones. ones. God. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll make fun of honkies at some point too. I Chill tried. Out. I tried to bring it to Canadian fucking healthcare, and you brought it back to Cuba. Eh, gotta keep <laughs> gotta keep dunking on them while we're there. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> oh fuck! I heard a really cool uh, fact about Cuba um, mm. regarding their vehicles. They have they they had or they had I don't know. Uh, in other words. Because of the relations going sour with the U.S. prior to that, when they would have automobiles going to Cuba, apparently oh. they have a bunch of like beautiful cars from the 50s, like beautiful American yes. cars from the 50s. That's pretty fucking cool. I've, I've heard about that too. Yeah, like they have just had to like maintain fucking T-Birds. Because so it's like, sick, well, dude. That's what we 57, got. <laughs> 57 so, yeah. Chevys driving around and shit. Right now that the embargo is lifted, I know there's like a lot of big time like car uh, collectors and restorers like all about Cuba and yeah. every fucking you know cigar head in this world. Right, right, of course. It's like hell yeah, finally. But um, but anyway, I, I, in other words, I'm very, I'm very, um, I'm 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 a Dinklage fan is what my point was. That's all. <laughs> and as the scene opened, and the scary little person uh, in the mental asylum 
scampered around on the ceiling like a demon. (laughs) Dean was reminded how much he loved Peter Dinklage. That's the moral of the story. And carry on, sir. (laughs) Just to summarize. (laughs) Oh, shit. All right. But, dude. Oh, man. This this stuff. I mean, this is the most genuinely hellacious fucking scenery. Should we listen it's, Should we listen to the most ter- terrifying oh, dialogue in cinema almost? Oh, please, give it to me. Ugh, let's see if this is even hooked up. Let me turn it up. Yes. Get me out of here. Where do you want to go? Home. This is your home. You're dead. Dead? No. Oh, I... You just hurt my back. I'm not dead. What are you then? I'm alive. Then what are you doing here? I don't know. This isn't happening. God, that's brutal. That's, dude. Uh, Tim Robbins is fucking amazing. Oh, man, that's brutal. That, that defiance in his voice when he's like, I'm alive. Yeah, yeah. Like that, uh, that's so intense of just like, fu- like having no idea what your situation actually is because who the fuck, who could make sense of this shit? It's fucking insane. But to just insist that like, fuck you, I'm alive. Right. Like I, I know I'm alive because I'm speaking to you right now and, and insisting on that. That's so human. That's so like primal. Yeah. Oh man, this scene is fucking terrible. And yeah, when Jesse comes in, dude, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. You're like, uh, wait, what? Are you some hell doctor? Is that what you've been the whole time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh huh. Mm-hmm. Um, the the eyeless doctor, so terrifying. Yeah. Get, you know what he reminds me of? It might even be the same actor. He reminds me of the um. Yeah. Oh, yeah fuck! I'm yeah. forgetting the, the dudes from X Files. Yeah, Brian Thompson, the agent dudes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not the, they're like the super soldiers. Yeah. Uh, uh, alien bodyguard, they're called. Oh, there you go. Okay. And it's, uh, I believe his name is Brian Thompson, but I don't think this is him. Unless he has this, I mean, he's got the lips, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. He does. He's like. Those uh, lips where he's got two little marbles tucked into either side of his you know, lower lip. Yeah. Like if Arnold Schwarzenegger had like a can't get right cousin, it would be him. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know? But he's awesome. That's how he pitches I, I love, himself to talent agents. I love yeah. Brian Thompson. We talked about him a lot in Cobra. I know. We did where he got hung up on a fucking meat hook. Oof. Good stuff. Right. And then they jam a needle through his forehead. And, and dude, dude, the most incredible part about this scene, for one, I get it's it's quiet. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly quiet. There's not big bombastic music. It is quiet. And you actually hear Tim Robbins gasp like when that guy leans over him because this whole time you see Jesse you see this weird doctor who's being all casual about like no you're dead this is hell you're 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 stuck here um and then all of a sudden we cut to the shot of that guy with no fucking eyes just leans over him and jams a gigantic needle through your fucking skull and like you can hear Tim Robbins be like <gasps> and then oh, yeah, like, oh fuck yeah. yeah like that oh my god dude so intense. And he wakes up in the hospital, and uh, his wife is there with the two living children. Dude. And you know what's so important about this scene, too? Remember earlier on, again, when God himself, a.k.a. Louis, told him, hey, she still talks about you. Mm-hmm. She still talks to me about you. That's love. Like, she's still there. And when she comes in here, she brings the boys in, and she, you know, she even scolds them for kind of trying to make light of it. And she's like, it's not funny. And then she finally says, you know, Jake, 
I still love you for what it's worth. I still love you. And I'm like, that's, you know, this is, we are, we are closing in on the end of the movie. And this is, this is Jake coming to terms with what's actually important in his life. Like here, like the, the mother of your children, you know, regardless of however, whatever your relationship is here and now, like this is, this is somebody you have an intimate connection with forever, regardless. Um, and that she, you know, he's acknowledging and like accepting that she does still love him and he still loves her. Yeah. It's, this is kind of the rest of the movie. Except for the yeah. kind of goofy thing with Michael and the LSD shit. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, it goes from here, it goes from here to another visit with Louie. Then he has a f- well, <laughs> final interaction. I'm not skipping ahead. I'm just saying what's ahead of the podcast. Yeah. And then he, um, and then he has a final encounter with Jesse. And then from Jesse, he goes to see Michael to talk LSD. And um, then he goes home and he has a, uh, he has the empty house and then he talks to Macaulay on the stairs and then it's over. So this is kind of like the push, the end. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is the final stretch here. Mm-hmm. And it, but dude, it, you want to talk about Louis? fucking great is Louis? Dude. dude is fucking serious. He's amazing. He is a fucking boss. Here. He's you know a why? bear. One of he's things- a fucking bear. He's a fucking bear. And also, he does something right here and that I'm he's still I'm young always, enough that I, he's going to bash people's faces in. Straight. Oh, straight the fuck up. If any of those yeah. guys had come at him, he'd have done it. And yep. he would have fucking taken him out. Yep. Um, <laughs> straight up. Uh, and what, what I love about this, he does something that I'm always like, I'm so happy when I see people do this. That, like, no one can keep you here. Correct. <laughs> like, so yeah, it's against no the, police yeah, exactly. officer, no fucking hospital. Nobody can fucking keep you there. You are not a prisoner to a hospital. Right. And when they're like, hey, um, you can't be back here. He's just like, fuck you. Fuck off. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm taking, this is my friend. He shouldn't be here. I'm taking him out. And that's it. You're not going to stop me. Try and fucking stop me. I love that shit. Me too. Like, there is no actual authority here. That's bullshit. You are, you're just, you're just kowtowing to some social moray. Like, there's nothing keeping you here. I'm going to do what's best for my friend. Get the fuck out of my way or I'll kick your ass. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, oh, I fucking adore you. Yep. You're so badass. It's awesome. Oh, and they end up on the, uh, in the chiropractor. Am I dying, Louie? From a slip disc? <laughs> he laughs. Yeah, you'd be the first. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's so great here, man. Again, he's hey, so it's fucking, charming. He's so fucking charming, man. And this is Jesus Christ himself healing you with his hands. Here he goes, laying yeah. hands on you. He's like, you. well, I don't want to die. And he's like, well, I'll see what I can do about that. <laughs> and he says, it's all pain. Straighten out your head. And he's just going through. You know, I'll tell you, uh, watching Tanny Aiello work here and maneuver and, and, and readjust the table, I'm like, it kind of looks like he is competent here. Like, this is good acting. He's convincing me. Yeah, no, I actually agree. I was like, this, I mean, there are some moves he does where I'm like, yeah, that's what my chiropractor used to do with me. Like, that's legit. <laughs> but there's just a, also like a second nature of him maneuvering around the table and adjusting it. Like, man, he kind of practiced this. It's cool. Like, I don't know. It just, it worked for me. Totally. Yeah, I can imagine him like actually practicing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eckhart yeah, saw he, hell he is, too. And this is where he lays out the quote we talked about already. Yeah. And dude, like by far, by far, head and shoulders above everybody else in this movie, he, Louis is the warmest character Easily. in this entire movie. He, I mean, he is nothing but smiles. Like we've already, like I've already said, like he's literally laying his hands on Jake. He's nothing but like warm and caressing and kind and forgiving. The only time he's ever a hard ass is when he's fucking saving <laughs> Jake and getting him out of the hospital, bringing him back here, and, and taking you know time to you know really help him. 
It's such a, again, another just major contrast from basically everything else in this movie. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, what, what works about that too, the tone of this story is kept so consistent throughout the rest of the movie that these moments with Louis do stand out as sharply as they do because they are so different in tone. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the tone has been so The lighting is so warm. Real. Everything's warmer. Right. It's all so much warmer. And it, it really makes it shine. It makes it stand out. It's not cast in the same colors. It's not, you know, the, even the music here in these scenes are different. Uh, they do a really good job of making this stand outside of everything else. Yeah. Yep. It's funny, too, because there's still trepidation by Jake. He's still nervous about this encounter because I think he's starting to realize something is amiss here. Oh, totally. You know, And that also kind of the way that Paul was talking of, like, I don't know who I can trust. Like, anybody could be uh, a part of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't even I, – and I mean, like, metaphysically, he's starting to go, wait a minute. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The little hallelujah when he stands him up. And then um, <laughs> he goes. He looks at – he busts open the box – he looks at the old photos. Um, he looks at his army credentials. So he's like, you know, looks at his right. uh, Brooklyn College, right, <laughs> diploma. Totally. And, well, he also looks at his discharge papers, mm-hmm. which say honorable. honorable discharge, not a dishonorable like old fucking George Costanza was saying. That's right. Like it's one of those those moments of making it real for himself of like, I was in the army, right? Mm-hmm. And I was honorably discharged, not fucking booted out because I was crazy. He has currency from Vietnam. Oh, yeah. The the note from his kid. I mean, this is sad shit. Oh, yeah. It's we see how his kid died, which, you know, his movie wants to really kick you in the balls. Ugh, God. I had a cousin die that way when he was 10 years old, too. Yeah. It's fucking brutal. It's rough. It's fucking horrible. Rough, 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 dude. Ugh, so he's having a moment, and, um, and Jesse comes home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, by the way, cool way to ruin the podcast, but I thought I want your cousin, you selfish cunt. Just kidding. I know. My dead cousin. <laughs> Hold on, don't worry, I'll be uploading pictures of the gravestone to the Facebook page. Cool. <laughs> awesome. I'm glad you're really hey, it'll cashing be, it's in gonna be a real party, everyone. Death. That's awesome, man. <laughs> really <laughs> cashing in on it. Way to go, pal. Ah, you know, gotta get them likes. Yep. And whatever it takes, dead family, give me your likes. <laughs> I want everybody to know about my pain. Ah, uh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> you fuck. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Jesus. Love you, buddy. So, um, he gets a call from Michael and uh, he runs off to see Michael secret experiments I need to see you they wanted a fucking super soldier chemical to make soldiers more aggressive and they got it but it made them so aggressive they just ripped each other apart a nice hug parting before he goes Mm -hmm. and he goes to see uh, Michael they uh, avoid some cops. They go to a sketchy-ass warehouse. Oh, yeah. Real sketchy fucking warehouse. And he lays it down. <laughs> right. Yeah. Pretty much lays out the entire thing of how they, they tested it on monkeys. Then they actually tested it on captured, you know, POW Viet Cong soldiers. Mm. And then slipped a very small dose to their to their own men, to his platoon. And he's one of the only survivors of it because they absolutely ripped each other apart. And it should be noted that he is, that Michael is saying this with... With great pain in his voice and, and anger. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. He's I mean, he clearly like, affected. He got busted for, for making LSD, mm-hmm. and then they, he got offered, all right, you can go to Vietnam and be involved with the war, which is a thing they used to do. They don't do that anymore, but they actually did used to do that, of like, hey, okay, so you can go to jail, or you can do a couple years of military service. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, fuck it, I'll be a soldier. 
Um, but yeah, they offered him go to Vietnam, and then they made him involved in the secret program of creating you know chemical compounds that would you know affect soldiers and you know and with the goal of making them more aggressive. And he was like, I didn't know what the fuck this was going to do. Mm. Like I just was tr- I was trying to do you know deliver what they off you know wanted from me, and it just made this horrible nightmare chemical that. <laughs> makes people fucking savages and he the way he describes it is like it makes you go all the way down it's the ladder straight down to your primal fears your primal you know animal like aggression and anxiety and you just lash out at the world Mm -hmm. he's like it's fucking intense man yeah and uh yeah the rage virus basically (laughs) basically yeah we come to find out that no no Viet Cong attacked you guys you got dosed and then you all fucking slaughtered each other Bummer. That's uh, evidently what happened. Now, the other there's there's a question here, which to be honest, I'll admit, I don't think it matters that much, but it's still something to kind of think about. Of did that even happen? Like, was it actually a Viet Cong attack? And uh, is the whole drug subplot thing another just kind of invention of his mind in hell and as he's dying or something? You know, trying to make sense of it all. Uh, at the end of the day. My answer to that is I don't think it really matters. And I lean towards, yes, that is actually what happened. We um, talked about that in the I, open, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's I mean, possible. Has, has your views on that changed? I, I don't know. I think, I think it's possible that they just wanted to, I think it's possible they just wanted to pin in a bit of a commentary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can Without it overwhelming the whole movie. And for me, the only the only aspect of that commentary that makes that adds to this movie and makes it good, and not just like an annoying like I'm going to insert a preachy moment, um, is is the idea of how just horribly ironically absurd. Right, that that's what you said at the top, is. which was that's right. that's where it becomes more of a tragic thing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That it's like you went all the way across the world to go to war, and you ended up just killing each other. Mm. Like it was all for naught. <laughs> Um, an interesting note, he tells the taxi driver to take him home. Mm, and the home he describes right. is not the home where Jesse was. No, that's right. He gives him gives him the address, talks about it, and, and ar- arrives. Arrives. And this is where we see great warmth. Warmth in the lighting, Definitely. warmth Total in the context. food on the table, um, warmth on his face. And he's just kind of going through the ringer right here. Louis, Louis, or Louis is teachings repeating the quote <laughs> and, uh, also i just realized i've been calling his wife laura for some reason or his wife's name is sarah i'm an idiot oh, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> oops sorry but yeah he comes the other another big tell about this is that he walks in the door immediately and it's like sarah sarah he's already just fully expecting them to be there mm-hmm. um you know and this i mean i guess this could even be her house where she currently lives um but yeah, he just waltzes right in, and it's empty, but there's a lot of warmth here. Yeah. And he just gets to ruminating. Right. And um, this is sad. It is, um, when, he, when he drops down, there's this, this, this coolness that bathes him on the couch. And then we get these home video kind of candid moments. This is very heart-wrenching stuff here. This is really sad. Oh, yeah. Um, especially when he's just kind of fucking around with the kid. The last thing they show, which is him fucking around with the kid, throwing him upside down. And then it cuts back to him on the couch, and it is suddenly very sunny. We hear birds. We have a very different visual motif here. 
Absolutely. And the sound of a heartbeat dwindling down mm-hmm. as that goes down. Like at first it's like bum bum, bum bum, bum bum, bum And then that last shot, it's just well, a single heartbeat. And then it fades to black. And then we fade back in on this new sunny morning. Yep. And he sees Gabe on the stairs. Also heart wrenching. Another moment that I remember super clearly. Yeah. Seeing little Macaulay Culkin sitting on the stairs as he like rounds the corner to to kind of get in view of him. Right. And oh, um, dude, this, this is moment. brutal. It really is, dude. The, oh God. This <clears throat> and um, the, the, him telling his dad it's okay. I mean, is key. Dude. I mean, yeah. Just he's like, come on, let's full- go up. Right. To see this full grown, big, tall man, you know, get down on his knees, lean his head mm-hmm, into mm-hmm. the little boy's yep. shoulder, and the boy, his little boy pulls him in and hugs him. I'm like, I'm dying. You're yeah, killing yeah, me. Yeah. You're killing me, movie. I'm dying. But he, and, and he, he takes he, his dad up. Uh, like, he's, he's, dad needs this. Dad needs to be yeah, told oh, it's okay. So bad. Right. It's so amazing. Bad. It's a heartbreaking story. Let's be real. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All, all jokes aside, this is an incredibly, tear-jerking, painful story about loss and, and grief and death. Mm. It's, it's so good, though. <laughs> it's so fucking good. And he's dead. He looks kind of peaceful. Mm. Cutting from the, the bright light of the stairs going on up to the light of the operating table as they're trying to work on him, and that's done. That's it. And the Al Jolson song is playing, yep. the song that he's been singing all movie. Do you think that was just the last song he was hearing that was somehow entering his subconscious yeah and that he was singing it throughout yep. his whole time absolutely oh man um and here's why i think the lsd thing is more more than more than just a shoehorn we couldn't think of anything because they put a goddamn card up yeah it's like yeah i uh i get it i don't need this card yeah come on i don't need it. sorry well. i don't need it it's fine. You know, the movie is the movie is so fucking good that it doesn't really hurt it, but I'm just like, we don't need this. Right. I don't care. It adds nothing. Yep. Eh. All right. Whatever. <laughs> um let's do a couple of listener comments. Hell yeah. Do you want to do um Curry's email? Do you cause he sent it to both of us and I'll you know go to the page and find somebody? Yes. Um I want to do uh his email and also the 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 thing he attached uh, about yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the, the biblical Black. piece. Yeah, that's for sure. Yes, ah. Good. All right. Well, so I'm going to go ahead and read. This is an email we got from Mr. Jason Curry, who I do believe is still in the chat. Uh, the live show bounced. went down because we're over three hours. Ah, boo. All right. But uh, Mr. Jason Curry said, this movie fucked me up for a long time. That being said, I've watched it no less than six or seven times and as recently as last night to get ready for what you guys will say. Also, side note and suggestion, never watch this movie when coming down from a mushroom tea trip. (laughs) I did after college when I returned home and it was on. Bad idea. Not sure I slept for another four days or so after that. What the fuck was I thinking? Oh, wait, I wasn't. I was tripping face only eight to ten hours before that with a girl I was dating at the time, and the thought of it was out of my system. (laughs) It's a great intro, by the way. (laughs) Uh, But he says, this movie still lingers in my thoughts when thinking about death and what I will lose when I am gone. 
The thought of dying and losing all those things I love is frightening. I don't blame Jacob for trying to hold on to a possible future with the people he loves, even though the future he is living in never existed. The idea that he was living in a type of hell before he dies always intrigued me, but petrified me. Him losing his son hit me hard last night, especially since I have a young daughter whom I'm very close to and miss when I'm not with her. Also got to see a picture of Jason's daughter when he was here. Super fucking cutie pie angel baby face. Very adorable. Um, uh, And he goes on to say... (laughs) Uh, The intense creepiness of the locked subway, the really creepy people slash demons standing in the windows while the train goes by, the demon faces looking out the windows while uh, while they're trying to run him over, the hallucination mindfuck and his way hot girlfriend. I've always loved the style of women, this style of woman, and she's a cutie. Uh, Uh, But... But I really enjoyed my last night rewatch from a different perspective. I don't have too much deep to say about it. I just usually watch movies for enjoyment. Not a professional movie, uh, movie critic or, or professional drink. <laughs> yeah, neither are we. Uh, nope. Yeah, exactly. And now I want to read. He uh, attached, uh, I guess what it's verses 12 through 17 from Genesis chapter 28, talking about uh, Jacob's ladder. And I'm going to read them. Uh, then I'm going to read it super fucking preacher style. You just get, get fucking ready. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up upon the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome. Yeah. Hey, sorry. hey, wake up. You're in church. Wake up, I'm you sorry. fucks. My bad. Get your face out of the pew. Continue. Little fucking demons. <laughs> and he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Nice. Basically being totally unaware right. that it was the gates of heaven. That is... So fucking cool. Thank you for including that. Very Jason. good. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the email, Jason. Daniel Cutter. This was one of my first what the fuck just happened movies. The storyline was so weird and creepy and the imagery was absolutely terrifying. The doctors with no eyes and the quick jerky movements were bad enough, but the scene in the dance club with the wings and the tail and the flapping sounds was a nightmare fodder for years. Strangely, though, as soon as it was done, I rewound it and watched it again because my mind was completely blown and I had to be sure what I just watched really happened. This was also one of the first twist-ending movies I remember seeing. That's cool. Um, Something that's become gimmicky nowadays, unlike some other twist-ending films, though this one holds up upon a rewatch, at least for me. Amen. I agree with you wholeheartedly, Danielle. (laughs) Anyone else? Um, I'm, I am actually just now getting there. I'm trying to see if I had mine. Um, let's see. Ah, yes. This is the one I was looking for. Mr. Nick Krivak. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good one. Rafi, Rafi totally ruined the ending of this movie for me before I got a chance to see it, but I just watched it and thought it was great. 
Even knowing what was going on, I was still intrigued the whole way through. For some reason, I always thought this movie was older, like it came out in the 70s or something. So I was surprised when Andy Dufresne and Kevin from Home Alone showed up. Can't we hear the coverage of this one? That makes sense because that's where it takes place. Right. And it does, dude, it does have a very late 70s anti-war feel to it. And evidently, dude, also this this screenplay was one of those screenplays that sat around for a long time. It even made the list. So keep in mind, this movie was made in 1990. The screenplay made the list for uh, best unproduced scripts in Hollywood for the year 1983. So this script was floating around forever. If you would have said what year did Jacob's Ladder come out, I would have said 88, 87. Totally. Yeah. Off the top of my head, I would have said the same shit. Awesome. Um, I don't really have anything else to say about this because we've talked this movie to death. Dude, we've talked it so hard. But I do want to say this. Uh, On the Lost Boys podcast, Skady Kobe wrote in and said that she was talking about watching a projected screen on a boardwalk for a 100th anniversary. And I was like, oh, where the movie was shot. Remember, she never had gotten back to me because we were already recording. Well, she did. And she said, yes, they had this huge inflatable screen on the sand in front of the boardwalk and the whole beach filled up with people on blankets and chairs just drinking and watching the movie. Basically, yeah. you could stand up watch from watching the movie and then go on the ride you just saw in the movie. It was sweet. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. Really cool. All right, well, I guess we're going to get out of here, right? Um, I'm going to say that I, I like this movie. Damn near love it. Damn near love it. Interesting. I say with confidence that I love it. I love this movie. There you go. It's fucking excellent. Awesome. Truly unique. And the only thing, the only else, other thing I'll say about it is I am still to this day shocked how little this movie's talked about. This is yeah, like man. most people, sad. Most that's of my a, friends. That's, that's a sad thing. Yeah. Like most of the time when I bring this movie up, people are not just like, oh, I haven't seen that. They're like, never heard of it. Don't even know it. And I'm like, fuck, dude, this is way too good of a movie to not just be even heard of. That bugs me. Mm. More people need to see it. Great movie. I concur. Um, Awesome. Well, guess uh, guess that does it. I guess that's that. I guess (laughs) that's that. We've been at it for a fucking while. Mm -hmm. Yep. Let's see. We're recording this on Thursday the 10th. Um, We have... One more movie before the listener vote, which is going to be apparently Indiana Jones and the King of the Crystal Skull. That's in two weeks. Um, but before that, post Jacob Slatter, we are going to be doing next week Nightmare on Elm Street 3, baby. Dream Warriors. <laughs> hell yeah. Shit. That's yeah. the most 80s shit in the universe. Oh, hell yeah. And if, you are a, if you're not a member, if you are a member, we already did Nightmare on Elm Street 1 and 2. So if you're not a member and you want those movies, go become a member. And you can listen to us go. cover the first two already. $5 um, a month. Lost Boys, Jacob Slider, Nightmare on Elm Street. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> so much horror. So much aura. Aura. All right. Aura. Man, um, we're done. I'm out of here. You guys uh, have a good one, Matt. Tell these good people goodbye. Fare thee well and don't let a, uh, you know, a nihilist doctor stab a needle in your forehead. Be careful out there, people.